Welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, and skeptic. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This isn't your grandma's RIA. No sales from the front ever and no smell of stale coffee, been gay and or disappointment. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done and I pick their brain for your amusement and hopefully education. If you enjoy this podcast, please give it a like and share it across all the internet, social platforms, all those places that people are listening. It really does help and I really appreciate it. And if you have anything any suggestions or maybe questions I'm not asking and you're not a total ass clown, I would love to hear it. You can go ahead and reach out to me at renegadedetroit.com, renegadedetroit.com. Yes, I realize it's outdated. It's being worked on, hopefully by the end of October. If you're interested in the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash investors, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. If you're interested in following me, go ahead and hit me up on Twitter at Jeremy Burgess. And if you prefer to watch this on YouTube or see other videos that we have on YouTube, go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit wholesalers. Legal disclaimer time. Yes, it's America people. In no way, shape or form should anything that I or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment and or investment decisions, that you contact a lawyer, an attorney, and or other licensed professionals. Be adult. Don't sue me. Now, show quote of the week. Well, I think this is appropriate, considering the the grizzly, not grizzly, grizzly veteran we have in front of us today. A master becomes a master through repetition. A master becomes a master through repetition. That's from our hopefully good friend, Grant Cardone. Without further ado, let me introduce you to my guest, Ron Walraven. Ron is a full-time real estate investor, real estate agent, and broker with Blackwater Real Estate for over 16 years of experience and 3,000 houses listed, sold, flipped, and or wholesaled. He's probably been selling shit when you were in diapers. Before real estate, he was in the auto industry for 18 years before his body quit, which forced him to start another career, and he chose real estate. So for all you out there thinking you can't do it or it's too late, it's probably not. Ron was born in Flint, Michigan, and he is married happily with four children. One's in college, and real estate continues to be a family affair. I actually met one of his sons. He brought him to Renegade Detroit Investors. He was a very nice young man. You should definitely reach out and give him a follow. Go to ibuymihomes.com. I buy MI for Michigan homes.com reach out to him on Twitter at Ron Walraven at Ron Walraven, or you can hit him up on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Ron dot Walraven. And yes, all this will be in the show notes. Thanks for coming out, Ron, or we came to you. Thanks for meeting us on short notice. Well, thanks for asking me to come out. That's, this is 
Sounds like it's going to be a good thing here. I think it is. And actually, I just want to go on the record right now that Ron is totally bailing us out. Somehow, I let myself, and this is totally my fault, nobody else's fault, be completely sidetracked for two hours and 50 minutes with a certain Mr. Brent Maxwell of a socialist nature slash communist leaning where we managed somehow to talk for two hours and 50 minutes about everything except for real estate. We're going to call that the lost episode. And Ron kindly, uh, after telling me to be a leader, which he was right, and I wasn't. That's what happens when you get two leaders in a room. Man, that was a problem, right? <laughs> yes. And I, and I stepped aside, and he kindly stepped up. So I just want to extend a very public thank you. You were on the list, but you're definitely bailing me out. So I really awesome. appreciate that. Looking forward to it. So obviously, you're born. So you're born in Flint, Michigan. Yes. Of course, you go into the car industry, right? So how how did that happen? There was no escape, I'm sure. But uh, what'd that look like? Well, my father was a or is a retired GM engineer on the production side, so he didn't have anything to do with cars or pr- product. Um, and through those years, he, when I can remember as a little boy, one of my favorite things to do was to go to the drag strip, not necessarily Milan, but I think we used to go to Detroit and we also lived in Illinois at the time. So we went to some place near Beloit, Wisconsin, as I remember as a kid, but I always remembered liking the sound of engines and the smell of rubber and fuel. And, uh, so as I grew up, uh, my father was more of an engineering type, so he was more analytical, I like to use my hands and got into high school, decided, you know what, I think I'm going to be an auto mechanic. And even in high school, uh, I took a biology two class for my senior year of high school. And my best friend at the time, we actually built a car for our yearly project. Sweet. Yes. So what car did you build? It was a, we call it a 23 T bucket we built the frame, redid the motor, carved up the body, put the upholstery together and all that stuff. And uh, that particular friend of mine actually passed away about two years ago from cancer. And we were at uh, like a get together of like an open house. And one of the photos that his parents had found was him and I getting this thing out of the garage because when we built the gra- built the car, it wouldn't get out the garage door. It Ooh. was too big. Ooh. So we had to take the front wall off. <laughs> and there was a photo of him and I standing there when we were like, like you know, 18 years old details Ron. details yes, yes. yeah <laughs> so i feel like that's my life <laughs> so so that's pretty cool do you have any pictures of this thing um you know i i don't have them i think my my best friend's brother or sister does but uh i mean the passion i always had was for cars and even to this day uh a lot of people don't know but i test drive cars for gm at night sometimes sweet kind of gets my keeps my car juices going and recently been driving they're pre-production cars so it's kind of fun to keep that going it's kind of brainless i can actually drive around and do real estate on the phone while i'm test driving the car so i'm not necessarily broadcast that until just this second but you know it's just something i don't do it maybe a couple times a month and you know anyway so you know driving all those new cars kind of keeps that going and you know like like you like you said in the introduction my body just gave out you know about 18 years ago and pretty much just had to get a get out. So that's unfortunate. What, yeah. what job were you doing? Well, I was a heavy engine mechanic mostly, but, uh, as any auto mechanic in Detroit knows that it's all about, all about diagnosis. And in today, you know, my biggest, my biggest talent is memory. 
So if I were to take something out of a car and put it on a bench and take it apart, I could put it back together. Didn't need the book. Didn't need to know why. No pictures. No, I my memory is is very keen and still is. Um, so and I've used that talent in my real estate business of just understanding and remembering people and that thing kind of stuff. But uh, you know, I my I was working so hard for the last four or five years of my career that my lower back just said, "No, nah, you're not doing that anymore." So not early 1998, I kind of set myself up to get some therapy. And while I was doing that, it totally gave out. Oh, man. Still, so at the end of that, it was about July of 1998, I finally got all the way out. And, of course, along the way, I'm like everybody else of my age, Carlton Sheets, right? Absolutely. Two, three years watching the videos. Late night. <laughs> I mean, I could even go back farther as Del- Dave Del Dotto, if anybody remembers that name. Oh, I That'd be know. more That's, like, yeah, yeah that goes way back. Time. Like the first guy doing no-down deals kind of stuff, so... And my wife, I remember, you know, back when I decided to get into real estate, my wife said, you know, you're always going to do that anyway. So I just got forced into it, you know, that way. So, so that was always, real estate was always a plan. This was just a, uh, you weren't planning to get started so early. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think guys like, like me with with an entrepreneur spirit, you know, you're kind of looking for a way to the angle to make some money. I look at real estate, like everybody needs a house, right? So I can't. If you needed me to sell copiers or furniture or books door to door, I'm not very good at that. But if you need a house, I can help you find it. I can help you buy it. I can figure out a way to fix your pain. You know, that's just kind of my, you know. Let me guess. That might be I buy mihomes.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to so, make sure since you stepped in the last second, I'm doing extra plugging today. Extra <laughs> plugging for Ron today. That's my thank you to you. I buy mihomes.com. He will end your pain today. Go fill it out. All right. <laughs> so that was always going to be the plan, real estate. Um, who, did you work for GM too as well? or No, I work for car dealers. Okay. Um, I started out at a Ford dealer in 1982 as an oil change guy. And I was going to MoTeC Automotive School at the time, which was a Chrysler-sponsored uh, technical, technical college kind of thing. And when I got out, there and was working for Ford. I got my first job for a Chrysler dealer, or actually it was a Jeep dealer in those days in Rochester. And I was the only mechanic for about two years when they first started it up. Wow. So I, I got bathed by fire. You were busy. I was busy and I was the only guy working and that, you know, that worked to my advantage, right? Because I was, when you work in a car dealer, you're flat rate, you don't get paid unless you're working. So I've been working commission since the day I've been walking, you know, working. So that whole mentality is certainly what I, the hustle idea has always been there. So I worked there a couple of years and went to another Chrysler dealer or another Jeep dealer, which ultimately got bought by Chrysler in the mid eighties. Um, but about that time I got married, I was still working in the car business. Um, I never, and I actually worked for a couple of prototype companies <clears throat> through those years too, trying to save my back because I was hurting still, even those days. And, uh, I worked for, um, I worked for Jack Roush, who was the NASCAR owner. I worked for him, his prototype shop in Livonia for a little while. But, of course, the money was lousy mm. because they, they pay hourly and not and not by, you know, not by hustling. So I finally got back into the dealer. And so <clears throat> I've got some prototype experience of developing things, and I've also got line experience of, you know, fixing cars day in and day out. So even to this day, my wife, one of the one things is like the seatbelt. I hate seatbelts. 
And as I always, I look back and I associate the seatbelt with time, right? Because every time I get in a car, it takes 10 minutes on my life to take that seatbelt and put it on and take it off and put it on. So I just, I never really got into a habit of seatbelt until, until just recently We're now we're in the car too. But my point being is it was just always, you know, I associate that with just like in the way. So anyway, of course we shouldn't seatbelts are a good thing. So yeah, but it does waste time. You're getting in and out of cars a lot. Well, you know, it's, you know, it's it's like, if I got to go test drive a car, why do I need to put the seatbelt on? I'm going to be in and out and come back. That was always my thought process too. So anyway, yeah, there might be a little human error involved in that. (laughs) I'm glad you're still here, obviously. (laughs) So you ended up doing that. I, I definitely feel you on the back pain. I've had, I've had back problems for a long time. I've actually had back surgery and I need another one. It's part of my current weight loss, get my shit together program, you know? So Mm -hmm. then you only have one back. So if you're listening to this, take care of it, folks, be smart about it. Even to right now, I'm going to physical therapy because my sciatic nerve flares up every couple of years. And, you know, of course you don't exercise like you should. And like you, I need, I need some weight loss program too. Yeah. You just got to start, man. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Look at this Fitbit. Uh, yeah. Measure I got one of those. Weigh yourself every week. Put it on. Count the calories. So why is my phone going to tell me I got to lose weight? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. That might be my generation thing. Like if if, if yeah. it's not yelling at you, it's not happening, <laughs> right. right? Absolutely. It's got to beep. Actually, well, I decided to embrace it when I decided earlier. Actually, it might have been late last year when I decided to start tracking everything. I've made a crazy commitment, which I may or may not ever comment on when I get to the end where I decided to track everything and just live an empirical life, which isn't necessarily the funnest thing to do because right. when it's results oriented only a lot of ego goes, but that was it. So I couldn't lie to myself about what I weighed, how many steps I take, that kind of thing. So that's accountability, right? A form of it. Right. Yeah. And then I tell people all the time about it that helps. So get to the end backs hurting. You're always going to do real estate anyway. Did you start as a real estate investor or did you start as a real estate agent? No, you know, when I kind of the way I thought about it was, you know, I was making a hundred grand a year fixing cars and I didn't want to go back to school. So I thought, you know, what am I going to do? I don't have to go back to school and make a bunch of money. So I said, you know what? I go sell real estate. This is late 98. So I tell my dad. Perfect this. timing too, by the yes, way. It was. Man, that's amazing. So late night 98, I tell my dad that my dad says, I wouldn't do that if I were you. I said, Okay. So I went and did it anyway. Good. And so I went and took the class. I took a full one week class. In those days you had to go actually, I went to Flint and took it from the mirror George. And then in those days you had to actually go to Lansing to take the test and do it on the little paper, you know, a little, uh, that was a number two pencil. Yeah. Wow. So you go there and you got to wait a week to get the results. Right. So anyway, I got my license and I got hooked up with a broker out of West Bloomfield that was, uh, kind of progressive. He was, he was younger like I was at the time because at the time I was mid thirties and, uh, I, he got me hooked up and he turned me into like the guy answering the phone and Mm -hmm. doing the leads. And I get 10% of every lead I had held out. So I got a real good taste of the phone really fast. That's excellent. In real estate, right? How to answer, how to talk to, you know, talk to the people, get the information, qualify them and all that stuff. So I did that. And then the same broker at the time had a, it was doing REO accounts. So in those days, REO wasn't that big. And we talk about AmeriQuest Mortgage, which was probably one of the biggest um, subprime lenders that went belly up in the day. 
had the most work in Michigan. They had one asset manager. At the wow. Time. So, so he decided, you know, he said, Hey Ron, I need some help on these. Can you give me a hand? And so I did my first BPO on paper, handwritten, scanned and sent. You know, it's like, wow. I think about what we do today. I mean, and those, we used to copy, we used to take photos with a regular camera, go get the roll developed and then peel and stick them and put them on a piece of paper. So I how'd you of, get to school with all the dinosaurs? I'm just curious. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what is this paper you speak of? Yeah, Ron? We used to overnight the packages. I used to do like eight in the heavy, in the early days of the AmeriQuest stuff, I do seven, eight BPLs a day and overnight every one of those to them. Which is kind of how I got a reputation of being a good REO agent in those days is because I did everything I was supposed to and they, and they just feed me the work, you know. So that's how I kind of grew into what I ultimately did. Yeah. So you, but you're like eight years early. Right. And you're so, getting I mean, trained. When you talk about the REO world in Michigan, it really started at around 98, 99. And that's really when the market started kind of increasing generally, right? So, but in those days, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, you know, those Midwestern states were all full of REOs. I mean, it was everywhere. Um, so it kind of, and then it just bludgeoned in Detroit. I mean, oh, yeah. when you talk about what's REO today, these guys that do REO work today are not the agents that I was and a few other guys I can mention that we used to do the down and dirty Detroit stuff. So I'm one of the few guys around still that knows Detroit because I simply sold every house on every block. Because that's the way it was. Um, that's how I met you. Is you were you were neck deep in REOs then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you you profited mightily from that in your experience before that. So when you figure two thousand four to two thousand eight was my heyday in regards to REO, selling three four hundred houses a year. When you figure two hundred and two hundred and fifty of those were Detroit, man, minimal. Yeah, you know when you're making seventeen eighteen hundred a pop because the prices are so low. That I mean, I had to do 25, 30 of those a month to make a living off of the staff. I had to do that kind of volume, right? So it was kind of like a catch-22 when it came to all the staff. But, but of course, if I go back to I was a mechanic for 18 years, my mentality is property management. It wasn't dragging you around on the weekend showing houses. I don't blame so, you there. So when the broker came to me and said, hey, Ron, I need you to handle this account for me, I jumped all over that because now I had one person to keep happy. Her name was Donna Gold. That was her name. And all I did was keep her happy. I would do as many BPOs as she wanted me to do. And I would, in those days, we did all the rekeys and the trash outs and all the property preservation, all the grass cutting. And we did all of that. Yeah, it was one big package. You mm-hmm. had to do it all. You had to be a one stop shop for those guys. And you had to front the money for them and everything. Yeah. So, you know. And they paid slow too, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah. So you had, you actually were not just forking out the money, you were providing a line of credit as well. Correct. And at the time, you know, I had in 2002 or so, the broker I was working for went out of business. And that's when I moved to Remax in Bloomfield Hills at the time. And I went from, I think I took 45 listings with me that when I moved to that Remax office, something like that. And when I did that, I realized I needed an assistant. So that was the first time I got an assistant. And we used to sit in a room, much like where we're sitting in, you know, with four walls around it. And she would sit across from me, just like Steve is. And we would work this way with two computers and all that kind of stuff. And then eventually that one-person assistant turned into three to four to a nine-person team, roughly about 2004, when everything started crashing around Michigan. So... 
And then I got from, went from doing AmeriQuest properties to option one properties to, um, home ec, home ec servicing. Anybody, I'm sure Steve remembers that there was probably five or six B and C lenders that would just, they would just dump property on me every day. Um, and I remember going to a conference in 2005, I think it was in Florida and the guy I went to high school with, I see him there walking around the pool. And I go over and I say, his name's Paul. I say, hey, Paul, how's it going? I haven't seen this guy in like 10 years. He's doing REO in Chicago, doing the same thing I do, only in Chicago. So he says, yeah, I got this guy over in Novastar, man. You need to give this guy a call. So I make that one phone call. That was that was basically my workload from 2005 to 2009 or 10. One when, call. When, one call. That basically, in 2010, when they went out of business, that was that one call that made me more money than I can remember. Uh, so for those afraid to pick up the phone, you might want to listen yeah. in on that. Sometimes all it takes is one call. So one call kept you busy for five years and made you more money than all the other calls. And that's what I like about REO is because it's very specific at the time. Um, so of course, all of that leads into the, you know, to the 2008, 2009, when the world crashed and everything was REO, East coast, West coast, South, North. That's when the Midwest thing became kind of, it was like everybody else, right? I remember even going to conferences in mid-2000s where the California guys would be begging for work. They would come to us and say, how do you do all that work all the time in Michigan? But there was a stat that I always remember is they always, the notice of defaults in California and Florida were like three times as much as they were in Michigan. The difference was that those houses were going up in value. These guys would go to the courthouse steps and buy those houses before they ever hit the REO side, which in Michigan, it didn't work that way. No. Well, of course, that flipped, right? When California and Florida and Arizona tanked, everybody ran out there. And Because I even, even in 2010, I went to Arizona and got a license because I was going to try to work some deals in Phoenix as a broker. And the market just tanked in Phoenix about the time I got my license. So I tried to do that. And then one of my client, another big client of mine was Wilshire Credit. Um, which is out of business now too. Um, they were giving me a bunch of work like Novastar was. And about all that time, all these guys went out of business. So it was like 2008, 2009 is when the government started stepping in and helping everybody. And I remember I remember hearing Granholm at the time, I think, said, hey, uh, we're going to give everybody help and we're going to put a moratorium on redemption redemption dates. I remember that. Yeah. And I, go, I went into my drawer and counted my files. I probably had 200 files in redemption at that point. I said, I told my staff, I said, September 2009, we're out of work. <clears throat> and that's exactly what happened. And that, kinda, and that was July of 2008-ish when I went from Remax to Keller Williams. And that was, and, and I look back, the July of 2008 was the best month I had in my whole career. We did 120K in GCI that month and like 45 units. So that was my best month and that was, and didn't do anything like that after that. And it was steadily went down and went down and went down. And I eventually just de-staffed along the way. And so anyway, I associate REO, you know, not to kind of get off track, but I associate REO with pain. Yeah, I do not like <laughs> REO. So if you want to know how to get an REO, you can call me and I'll tell you 10 things on how to do it because I don't want to. So Had enough REO. Made you all that money, though, man. It did. It yeah. did. But you know what? If, you know, kind of segue into what we're talking about. It really gave me the, the, you know, the, the acumen that I need today to do what we do, right, which is wholesaling and flipping and things like that. 
I can I can I set up probably plenty of closing tables with a few guys that we all know. They always look at me and say, Ron, why don't you flip houses? Why yeah, you were you on buy? the wrong side, man. And I said, well, you know what? I've got some financial problems, and, you know, I've had my own issues, and I'm digging out of those, and you know what? It's not, it's not the best use of my time at the moment. So, of course, when everything forced it again, right, when everything changed, I didn't have any choice. I mean, I had no staff. I didn't have any work. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to use this experience and go do what I what always wanted to do anyway. So which was to flip houses and invest and all that stuff. So. Yes, yeah, so you got sidetracked for several years then, essentially, <laughs> yeah. from your original plan. Right. I, mean, I always kind of laugh as I think that I'm, I'm like a realtor's worst nightmare. I'm a realtor and a broker that knows how to invest. And I know how we to can't list. have that. Know, right. <laughs> and I know how to list property and how to sell it in a way that gets it done. And, you know, it's all about the closing, right? I, I always say to lots of, lots of, uh, you know, buyers agents that they always know how to get the contract, but they never know how to close. Closing is the most important part. You don't get paid until yep. you close. It doesn't so, matter. No. Got to get them to the closing table. Yeah, that's right. So you got sidetracked basically with this real estate agent and broker and right. REO listing. And you always really wanted to fix and flip wholesale rentals, landlording, well, not as much. I don't know. I think that, I'm always, I always like to chase the deal. I think that's my talent. I like figuring out how to get the deal done. The mechanic side of mechanical side of closing it is easy for me because I've done so many. <clears throat> I had staff that were, you know, the best in the business doing that for me every day. <clears throat> the, my best assistant was a broker. I mean, literally, I didn't have to speak to her unless it was about money because she wouldn't spend my money. But if we needed an addendum or paperwork and all that stuff. So my, I guess my point to that is, is that, I always concentrated on the deal side of things, right? So, of course, who were my, who were my not my client, but my customer was investors, right? Mm. A few guys that we all know, five or six guys that buy houses from me all day long. So I, I knew how to speak to them. They knew that I wasn't, you know, wasn't going to jack them around because they knew Ron did what Ron said he was going to do. And a lot of times I can tell you, you know, a hundred times I got in trouble from these guys because they call me up and want to do the listing agent thing. Yeah. Hey, Ron, you know, if I get me the deal. <laughs> and of course I'd make them mad because I say, just tell me your freaking number. Would you just yeah. tell me the number? So let me see if I can work that for you. And so, How many times were you given that script? Well, you know what? You know, we all know a guy named Bob Norton, right? We do. Yes. Bob Norton tested that whole process out on me. 2007. I can remember the day just like it was yesterday sitting at Fuddruckers. Him when he got into the business about 2006 ish, and him perfecting that process of hooking up with the listing brokers, right? And of course, you know Bob and I are very good friends, blah blah blah. <clears throat> but uh, he, of course, you know he taught a lot of people how to do it the right way. And uh, amazingly yeah. enough, people don't very often. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right. And I, I mean, my point to all that too is that a lot of those guys like Bob. Uh, were my friends, right? And they come to me because I knew I was honest, and I would I wouldn't take their money, or I would if they wanted to come to me for values, I'd tell them, you know, don't buy this house at this price. You're you know the it's too high. Just leave it alone. And if somebody else wants to pay it, and you're not going to pay it because there's no deal. And so of course I garnered that reputation, which I'm living off of today. Um, because it's kind of interesting about three years ago when I kind of got out of the REO business and be, started becoming an investor, <clears throat> I had a hard time getting the listing brokers, the other guys in town that were like me, to treat me like an investor because they thought I was still a broker. 
So when I would call him to get deals, right? Cause now I'm trying to buy, right? I'm trying to put them on, you know, the wholesale or whatever they would, they look at me like you're the buyer, you know? Yes. So it was difficult. So it's taken me up until the last six, eight months where they kind of, these guys to realize that Ron's not the, you know, Ron's not the broker anymore. And of course they all know I do still have an REO system that one of my buyer agents is really doing. And my name is still there. If you go on to B of A's website, Ron Walraven is a preferred broker. So, you know, some, you know, somebody else is taking advantage of that system today. But, so, so the death of your real estate REO business was actually at the same time, the birth of your new business. Cause you had this list of investors and in this right. relationship and this history Absolutely. And just immediately, and that's it just immediately segue like, why don't I just go do this on my own? Right. I don't need a bank. I can find deals. I have these list of people who will buy houses. I know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. I know they're serious. Because <clears throat> natural my data, segue. My, my database of buyers is 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 really my is what I have. In other words, the guys I have on my list, which aren't buy-in lists, they're not people going to a squeeze page trying to get in on the Ron's list. These guys are bona fide buyers. Cash money list. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you want to so if you want if you got a deal you want to sell, you send it to me and if it's a deal, there's somebody on my list that will buy it. Wait, wait. I might be able to guess. I buy <laughs> mihomes.com. I buy mihomes.com and Ron will get you hooked up with it. Well, that's an interesting segue that uh, I'll have a very, very honest moment here is that is the entire purpose of this podcast is to build a list. I don't necessarily know what I'm going to do with this list, but build an audience, which is a list. And hopefully the audience respects this and appreciates it. And then somehow, way, shape or form, I turn this into money mm-hmm. later. I'm not entirely sure about that part yet. I'm just, I'm just working on the value part. So your list became the asset that transferred and moved forward into the part you always Absolutely. wanted to do. Right. Because obviously the guys that are on my list know me. There, there was a relationship prior to. So they know that if I send them a deal on an email, that it's probably a deal. And they know that if they say, hey, Ron, what's up with that or this, that they know that I'll give them an honest answer. Right? So because some of these guys are realtors, some of them, most of them are investors, but even some of them are realtors. And they know that if Ron's sending it to them at that price, there's room in there for that realtor to get paid too. Right? So, you know, I'd love to co-host sale. I don't have any problem sharing my fee. No problem at all. I'm not, I'm not that greedy. I'm just looking for deals to get done and move them out the other side. That's so, like back from the REO days, right? Somebody yeah. brings a buyer, you bought the house or vice versa. You got the house, they have the, buy, you mm-hmm. know, however it works out, everybody gets paid. Right. So for, you know, from what I realized, you know, about two years ago is that I suck at marketing. Right. So I fixed that problem. I realized what my weakness is, and then I went and, you know, went looking for opportunities with other people that do that, and which is exactly where I'm at today. You know, my main thrust is with one main partner that runs that iBuyMIHomes.com website. iBuyMIHomes.com. And I give him all the credit for that management and the Googling of all of that. That's not on me. I just take, I'm just a face that takes the calls and knows how to do the deals. So, and of course I just sit back and take those calls and we do other types of marketing too. But at the same time, I kind of got a niche with other wholesalers who do their own marketing that they call me and say, Hey Ron, I got this deal. I want you to go out there and on this appointment. And I go out there and we share the fee, whatever comes down, we end up sharing it 50, 50. That's it. So, um, that's a very inclusive approach you have, Ron. 
Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's very rare. You know, what I find is these guys that... You're a rare bird, sir. The 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 other wholesalers who call up and say, okay, Ron, you know, here's one. You got a buyer for this? And if I ask them, well, what's how much am I going to get paid if I bring you a buyer? Well, I'll give you this or that. And I say, well, how about a half? What do you want a half for? I say, next. Yeah. I just move on. Because if they're going to be so greedy about that, then they're... Of course, I know some guys have their cost and they have day jobs and stuff like that. And there's Cry me a river, you know, yeah. Yeah. you know, how many guys, how many guys do you really know in the business that do it full time, the wholesale full time, not three, four, maybe. Yeah. So my comp- competition, if I, if you want to call it that is really not my competition. We just share it all up because we all have our own lists and, you know, it's just, to me, that's the power, right? Is the, it's about abundance. It's not about adversity, right? Or scarcity is the word. So. I've always thought more that way, but I find that you and I, in that respect, are incredibly rare. <laughs> everybody else is always counting everybody else's money and paychecks, and mm-hmm. I don't want to. I've always been more of a, a collaboration kind of guy instead of a a lone wolf necessarily when it comes to business. It just made more sense because you can leverage other yep. people's networks. Absolutely. Like, why would I not split? a wholesale fee for you if you had a buyer and get it closed fast. Well, you know, what's interesting is the world that we live in around Detroit is very small. And when you mess with somebody one time, your name gets around real fast. Oh, right? yeah, that is true. You know, it gets texted or like, don't do this anymore. Or, yeah. you know, you, or you talk about it at all the meetings that there's only three, four or five meetings around town that are, you know, inclusive to all those people. Right. And you start talking about that stuff that gets out. And, to me, it's it, it's an abundance thing, in my opinion, right? You attract what you what you do, right? So if you're very scared, you know, having a scarcity mentality about what you're doing, you're going to attract those same people. If you're abundant, you're going to attract abundant people. It so always seemed to me, though, like we, we should also hang out with people who are doing what we want to do, too. Oh, yeah. Which that sure. just makes sense, right? If you mm-hmm. want to get better, you want to do better. It's you, you need something to measure yourself against. You need something to shoot for. You need to talk about it. There needs to be. So this kind of secrecy and that that's one of the reasons why we, I started Renegade Detroit Investors. I was try to we can come together. We can share information. No, I'm not going to give you my business plan or something. I mean, I'll sell you my business plan. Right. But right. but if you have a question, we'll answer it. We can work on deals together. It doesn't have to be like we're slitting each other's throats out in the street. Seems like we get all get a lot farther cooperating than we do working against each other. But, but of course, you know, some. I think the reason people are apprehensive about giving information is because they they don't trust yet, right? I mean, we all do that. We're all skeptical at first, right? So if I call you up, if I call up somebody and say, "Hey, I got this deal. Do you got anybody for me?" Well, what's the address? Well, you know, if you got somebody, I'll give it to you. Those people I don't even talk to. No, you don't have it under contract. If you don't call me with the address, don't call me. Don't call me. Right? If you send me an email that doesn't have the address in it, don't send me the email because I ain't going to look at it. It's a waste of my time. If you think think I'm going to go around you, then I guess you don't trust me, then I don't need that. No. It's just that simple. And I think a lot of guys that are part-timers, that's what they think, right? Because that's what they've been kind of taught, I guess, in a way. And I just think there's... If you're if you're going to be lousy enough to go around me like that, go for it. You know, and I was just telling somebody the other day is that my list is loyal. If somebody goes around my list, they come back and tell me, "Hey, this guy just came to me with this address. Isn't this your address?" 
Well, yeah. Well, okay. You know, so it's, it, there's a, and that's why I love, you know, the power of my business right this second is the power of that list. And finding the sellers is kind of the easy part, in my opinion, really. It's interesting you say the sellers are, are the easy part. And well, that's true, because if you get a good deal, then it's going to you're you're gonna sell it if you have a good deal and you've got it under contract like you say then yeah. you're protected right because what's the worst thing that can happen even if the seller is enticed by that going around thing you can file. still mess with them yeah you right can you can still keep them and I haven't had the opportunity to do that yet you know I guess sometimes I'm not I don't feel that jaded yet or maybe I just don't know. But I haven't lost that many deals that I put under contract either. I mean, usually I, if I put it under contract, I'm usually either buying it or I'm going to ultimately move it. Usually I don't even go that far unless I know I can get it done. So Yeah, I'm, I'm the same here. Although I, I, I'm, I have mixed feelings about this. So as I say this, I just want to say I have mixed feelings about this. It seems to me a certain amount of failure has to be part of the system or you're leaving money on the table. How do you feel about that? Well... I think that maybe I'm because of my experience being a real estate person first and not a wholesaler first. I think that I have a little more insight to what's going on. So I don't pull the trigger if I don't need to. Right. You know, so I, I'm a, I'm a very good reader of human nature. And if I'm standing in a room with that seller and I know that they're not going to take my number, what I usually do to them is I say, okay, well, here's your number is this. I can't pay that. It's not going to happen, but here's where we go. Ah. Let's throw your number out there. I don't give them a contract. I just say, look, I'll send your number to my list. If I get a hit, I'll call you. And I don't, and I, then even at that point, I've already taken photos. I've got all the information I need. I send it to the list. Like if I get a hit, I call them up. So to me, the, the, the protection of the contract is good if it's a deal, right? Because if it's a deal, somebody's going to call them. This is that simple. And more times than not, that person who has a house they want to sell, I'm behind two or three other people already been in the door, or there's two or three people behind me coming in the door. So you're competing with each other in a sense, right? So, you know, and I would, I guess to get back to kind of your point about the failure, I would because that's because that's the way I always look at things. How if it doesn't go right? How did I? What did I do that I don't do again? Was it the price? Was it the location? You know, I mean, even right now, I got a lot of Detroit stuff coming at me. You know, two oh, years God. ago, I would take everything I could get. Right now, I'm very picky because I look you have at, to be. I look at the block and there's nothing on either side of the house, and the house that's either two doors down is blown up. I'm thinking, how do I sell that house? And of course they want too much. And of course the taxes are upside down 10 K and, you know, so I, this is my tactic recently been, you know what? I'll take that property off your hands. So, but you're going to have to give it to me. What do you mean? Give it to you. Well, I'll give you 500 bucks, but I'm going to take on your taxes. I'll take the risk for the 500. Are you okay with it? No, no, no. I want like five. Okay. Keep waiting then. That's right. Keep waiting. Here's, here's, uh, here's I, somebody else.com's website. Go there. (laughs) Go check that out. See if they ever can give you a call back. Right. Add how many call back. That's interesting. So if you can't get it at the price you want, you immediately go to let me send it out. And mm-hmm. work it backwards, and then if right. you can, you'll go back and put it at the correct price. Because mm-hmm. I think, because I think a lot of wholesalers are taught, and it's not even that I haven't done that myself. Is that you put it under contract, right? 
and then you go try it out and Absolutely, then yeah. and then it comes back at you at all your prices and then you say okay well then you go back to the seller and renegotiate that price i think that's a good tactic in many ways but not always is my point so and there's where i kind of go back to the my fact of my ability to read human nature as i understand what their pain is i don't want to tie them up and then they get down the road 60 days and we've done nothing right I'd rather say, okay, let me call you up in 45 days and say, okay, I got your deal. You know, and I've done that before where I'd send it out to the list and somebody will hit it and, or it'll be like, I'll do it twice, which I don't usually send things out twice. Typically, if I don't get a a fast response, because that list is so powerful that it tells me, it gives me the feedback I need almost instantly. And, and I've got a thing on Gmail. It's called, what is it called? Sidekick. You use that where it tells everybody opens up the email. So you see. Right. So when I send it out, I mean, it's almost instantaneous. Bam, 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 bam. There's like 65 hits, like within 30 seconds. I know that that's a good price. Then I just wait. I don't know if I've ever opened an email that fast. I maybe, <laughs> I maybe need to change my uh, position on that. But uh, so I don't I, use that service, but I use a similar one. Yeah. And you, yeah. you know, what right. is it? Yesware? Yeah, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. That was yeah. Steve Londo, ladies and gentlemen. He just kind of came out of nowhere. If you're not watching the video on YouTube, boom, you might not know who that was. So, yeah, Steve Londo, making sure our sound is uh, sounding good. Well, that, that's a really well. I, I I appreciate that. I'm glad I asked that question. I might try it that way. What about? I've heard another way. Um, was it Terry? What's his name? Terry? What? Sean Terry? Sean Terry, that's right. He he says maybe option it. Oh, yeah, for sure. That kind of thing, too. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, a lot, this is how I kind of look at things. If a house, if they want their price, how do I get them their price? There are lots of ways to do that. Well, how much cash do you really need, Mr. Seller? Well, you know, I'm looking for ten grand. Well, at your price, I can't give you ten. I might be able to give you five. If I give you five and I give you your premium price, I want premium terms. Well, what does that mean, Ron? Well, if I'm going to give you 5K and give you your number, I don't want any payments or or no interest. No interest, yeah. Right? You just kind of, you really have to kind of, when you give it to them about a give and a take thing, they they see that as value, not as you trying to steal their house. Right? And, and that's what I always go because cause how many times can you not buy a house because it's over leveraged? A lot. Right? Yeah. Now, of course, as the whole time I'm thinking, well, can I rent this house for more than what its payment is? Right? So if it's over leveraged, I go right for the payment amount. What does it include? What are the blah, blah, blah. And then I can kind of go from there because I'm not so, I'm not so opposed to buying houses everywhere or holding rentals in an area that I might not necessarily do it or lease options or, you know, subject twos or whatever strategy you want to use to acquire it. At this point, I'm looking to do as much business as I can to get the experience so that I understand what to do. So it takes me 30 seconds to figure out how I'm going to fix this guy's problem. Oh, interesting. Even if there's no way to fix it, I tell him, you know, I mean, I had a lady out of Ann Arbor that I wanted to buy the house. It was in a great spot in Ann Arbor. And I get all the way to the end and I told her, I said, man, I said, I can't buy your house. There's no way that I can do it. I said, but here's how you can go do this. And interestingly enough, she kind of did what I told her to do. She gave her my name to like three of her friends. So this one deal that I didn't buy and I told her I couldn't buy it. She gave me three other opportunities. Now I didn't do any of those either, 
But at the same, to me, it's that reputation that kind of filters through sooner or later, right? You got three additional at bats. Mm-hmm. That's, That's what right. you need is at bats, right? And then, of course, they got their ten friends and their thirty friends, and you know, to me, it's a. It really comes down to an integrity issue. It always is. I mean, my motto has always been REO with integrity, because most guys in town know that REO guys tend to be a little less than forthwith. Right? Say it ain't so, Ron. <laughs> So are you telling me that not everybody could be trusted in this industry? So, yeah, yeah. I have some personal experience with that. <laughs> yes. An unfortunate story, a sad story that I'm not going to share or tell. And I want no excuses from. Thank you very much. But yeah, I fucked up my life pretty good. I tell you <laughs> what, you trust the wrong people and you make the wrong decisions. And you're talking about probably by the time I'm said and done a decade of pain by yeah. the time it's all done. I don't regret any of it because I'm, I am where I'm at and I learned what I needed to learn. Took twice, I'm embarrassed to say, but I learned it. But well, yeah. I just saw a quote the other day from Thomas Edison, right? He failed ten. He didn't fail 10,000 times. He just figured out 10,000 ways not to do it. That's true. Right? And that's the positive way. And if you, if you kind of think this, I had some feedback from a seller the other day was that, Ron, you told me all the things that were nice about my house, not try to beat me up on all the things that were wrong. And I thought, what a great, I, you know, I didn't know that I was doing that. I just did it because that's how I operate. You know, you walk through the house and it needs a roof and windows and the furnace is old. But I always go after and say, oh, I walk through, you know, you got a, you get, you know, you got some new floors, carpets, good bathrooms in good shape. Kitchen's a little tired, but you need this, this, and this. They, re, they hear the good stuff first, right? And then you give them a reason why their value is not correct. And then they, they see it in a different light. Interesting. You know, so when you're walking through a house, you don't you point out everything, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Or you just do all the good first, then you point out the yeah. bad. Yeah, because uh, because 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 what I tr- always do is I take my phone, my iPhone six plus, which has got a big screen on it, right? And I always tell them, I always ask them, so what's your price? Well, I was kind of hoping you would give it to me. Okay, well let's go like this: the house is worth X. Let's use a hundred thousand. Your house is worth a hundred thousand if everything's brand new. Kitchen, granite, floors, roof, windows, everything. It's hundred worth hundred grand. I go boom, 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 and I take off with a certain percentage for profit. So, so I go boom, 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 and I said, "There's your as-is value right now." But now you need this, this, and this. But you got a good here and good there and this. And here's your number, are, Mr. Seller. Are you willing to accept that number as an offer today? Would you consider that number? Well, you know, I was kind of hoping for this. Well. You know, maybe we can split that difference. I can if I go here, will you sell to me? Okay, <laughs> you go run out to the car, get the contract, boom, 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 right? Yeah. Or they say, well, you know, I was kind of looking for a better number than that. Well, here's why I can't do that. You know, it's not that I don't want to, but I can't. I'm an investor. I'm not going to live here. This isn't my house. This is how I feed my family. And I think a lot of you don't a want lot to of, have skinny kids, right? Right. And well, we think about a part timer. He can't say that. You can't say this is how I feed my family. It's true. I walk in the door and say, "Look, I'm trying to feed, I'm trying to send my kids to school and feed my and feed my family with my business here. So I can't give you more than that because this is how I do it. I got four kids to feed. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I like that approach. That's an interesting way. I may modify. It's it's similar to what I call Steve's approach. I pretty much just shamelessly copy <laughs> Steve. Is that's that's what I did. Well, what I like is the fact that there's two. That's Ron's personality, anyways, yes. right? And mine's more aggressive, I guess, right? Maybe I would say that's a little an bit. affirmative, yeah, tiny bit, maybe. And that damn camera keeps shutting off. I know it does. Anyway, it does. But 
that's the beauty of it. But that's why I like working with Ron, too, is there's deals where his personality I know is a better fit for that seller. So we'll partner up and do something where he's the guy that goes and talks to the seller or vice versa, where I know they just need a little kick in the butt and it's going to take someone like me to go and push them over the edge. We've done several deals together. So. Well, it's interesting how Steve and I work together is we're not necessarily manipulating the situation, but we're using our experience to our advantage. Well, yeah, using pluses seller, and cons to plug holes. The seller right? wants to sell, we want to buy. Absolutely. How do yeah. we get to that center? You know, if it's one side or the other, then it doesn't work. No. Right. And, you know, and that's why, that's why the abundance thing works. Right. Because that, you know, the deal that Steve and I just did recently was probably the best deal I've done in the last two months in regards to the, what we collected. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, and of course on my side, there's other partners too. So it kind of, right, Steve, it all trickled down to three other people, even on the other side of us. And we got that done, and the seller got the house sold. We got paid. And there's another person who's doing that. To, uh, to me, to the wholesale thing, and I think that's why I kind of always cringe when everybody sit, when you talk about flipping. It's like a bad word. Well, if you went and bought a loaf of bread for fifty cents and put it in the grocery store and sell it for a buck, aren't you flipping that loaf of Absolutely. bread? Absolutely. <laughs> This how is, how am I doing anything different? <laughs> this is my biggest complaint on what I consider the uh, profit motive. How everybody mm-hmm. doesn't like the profit motive except when it involves them, right? Why they need to make? Why can't they pay me more? And they, well, yeah, you're concerned about your profit motive, correct? Yeah. Why are you con- are not concerned about their profit motive? Well, it doesn't count, right? Yeah. If the profit motive only counts when you're counting, <laughs> I don't really want to work with you, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Well, of course, sellers do that all the time, right? They look at it and they say, well, why should you make all the money? Well, I got the cash. Yeah. Who's got the cash? Anybody else standing around? You got the cash? I do. Here's the number. How, what's your, what's your, you know, I always call it a hassle factor, right? Is the, is the discount worth the hassle, less hassle? I'm going to take 20 grand off your price that you could, yes, you can put it on the MLS, but you know what? You're going to pay this, this, and this anyway. You know, the only thing you're saving by selling it to me is your 6%. You still got to pay title insurance. You still got to pay transfer tax and you still got to pay a closing fee. All of that number is the same. You're saving 6%. You, with me, you're saving a month of time too, right? Time done is over, valuable. Right. Time, it's done and over with. And oh, by the way, if you take this number, Mr. Seller, because usually if it's the first number on my screen, if you take this number, Mr. Seller, I will close. No questions. Well, really, I'd like an extra 10 grand. Well, if you're going to do that, then I need 60 days. And maybe we'll get all done and said we had a good time, but we didn't sell. So which one do you want? Do you want a guaranteed sell? Or do you want to get an extra, hope you get an extra 10K? I I love that. So if they ask for more, you immediately go to, well, it's going to take me extra long and I may not be, we may get to the end and it may not be sold. Mm -hmm. Which would you prefer? That, that That whole premise of take my number today is a guaranteed close. School of Ron, ladies and gentlemen, works because do you, do you actually go with the price. What's your price? Are you that direct and yeah. aggressive about it? Mm-hmm. Man, yeah, because because if, if I'm doing the computation, what's in, what's see what I always do is I always drive in the neighborhood a half hour ahead of time. I drive around and I sit at the corner and watch. I just watch what goes on during that time. I'm doing the comp. So when I walk in that door, the values in my mind fresh. I don't have to think. I don't have to be walking around with a clipboard. You know, the, I'm not distracted and they're not distracted with my busyness. I'm walking around. Of course, sometimes I think I do it too fast. 
Like they think, did you even look at the house? Yeah. Because I, because I'm so used to it. I'm looking for certain things, furnace, roof, windows. I'm just looking for certain aspects, right? That whole time I'm already computing what the, what the repair number is. One thing so, I notice, and maybe this is just my approach to it. And I haven't been doing this very long, what little over a year now, this, this particular form of real estate wholesaling was I got a lot of deals killed by trying to, by trying to make a deal actually at the house on the same day. And I noticed that unless they, the seller met certain criteria that if I waited two days and then presented the same offer remotely, it almost doubled the number of PAs that got signed. Like they couldn't hardly believe that you can come to a number that fast. And by artificially dragging the process out two days, for whatever reason, they didn't feel like they can argue or like th- that objection went away. I don't know if that's just maybe I'm not doing it right. Or do you always get your PA signed when you're at the house or? Well, if they're willing to take my number, yeah. Or if I just leave it with them half signed. Because, of course, majority of our leads are probates. Right? Yeah. So, of course, they got somebody to talk to. Brother, sister, lawyer, whatever. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So when they tell me the lawyer, I go, Ooh, because the lawyer looks at the contract and just tears it up. Right. Yeah. yeah I hate that. You know, one of my partners the other day said, Ron, do you think their contract's a little heavy? I said, no, lawyers need to get out of the way. You know, they need to leave it alone. And I look at it like this. So they want to tear it up. Just tell me what it is you don't like. I can either say yes or no. Right. It's up to you. You're protecting your client. I'm protecting myself. I don't care. We could save a lot of time right here, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> so do you want to do this or not? Yes or no? These are the parts. Right? Now, of course, because the, the, usually the fifth or sixth question on my mouth is, do you have other investors looking at your house today too? Of course, they always say, well, I got one tomorrow. I say, what's his name? <laughs> I do not that guy. <laughs> not that guy. You know, they say, well, or if it's a probate thing, <laughs> they always say, how many letters did you get? Oh, I got a bunch of them. Well, yeah. Of course, if I show up with another partner, made the appointment, then uh, I say, you know what? You probably got a letter with my name on it, too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I see one guy pulled his card out of his pocket and said, oh, yeah, I got a, a letter from you. I said, well, either way you win. <laughs> either way, I'm going to buy your house, right? You know? So, you know, I, anyway, I, I just, I like that soft sell somewhat, you know, because I hate to be sold myself. There is nothing that I despise worse than somebody calling me trying to sell me something. You know, if I need it, that's fine. But you know, I just, you know, the telemarketer guy just drives me nuts. You know, so. interesting. So, how do you how do you screen your phone calls then? Well, there's where I kind of fix my my issue is that I don't the the, the calls that come to me direct are are pretty serious people anyway because they're googling or they got the letter right. Yeah. So, of course, we send out hundreds of letters, and the ones that want to sell are the ones that call. Of course, then I, I have a sheet. I just ask them a bunch of questions. And normally, if they're if they're more of the retail-oriented seller, I won't usually even make an appointment because I'll just, I'll just go right to the number right away. Yeah. And I'm, usually, if I'm sitting at my desk like we are here, I can look up the taxes, and I can look up this. I can do all of that while I'm sitting here and look up the comps and get real close to where the number is. And then, of course, if I say to them, well, you know, I'm kind of like in the 150000 range. Is that a number you would consider? I always use that word, consider. Absolutely. I learned that too. Right. You yeah. know, not to use just a soft word, right? Yeah. And I say, well, I was, you know, I was thinking more like 170. Well, let's do this. I really need to see the house, blah, 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 and just go down the road with the appointment. 
So you do make sure that you're close on number mm-hmm. and motivation yeah. before you book the appointment. Because even when we get the emails, because we, you know, you can fill out the form online that says, you know, make me an offer kind of thing. Even when I do that, I'm still responding to them, you know, through the email with, you know, thanks for calling or thanks for email. And I did a little bit of research. I think your value is in this range, you know, and assuming that it needs this repairs or whatever, there's where I would be. Is that something, the number you would consider? And of course, most of the time they get mad, yeah. right? Because the online people are always like jacking up their number, right? Always. So that's why you went to 15 different sites and filled out all the information because <laughs> right. you have the crown jewels right now, yeah. right now. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's kind of interesting is you never know till you ask, right? I got a, a two family in Detroit that in Detroit, we're getting a lot of Detroit leads recently, by the way, online. I've noticed. I've it's noticed. like, I don't know what happened, but it's like just cranking them out. A lot and, of bullshit, too, I'm sure. Oh, you know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Of yeah. course, here's where I always kind of qualify people, too, on the phone a lot of ways, is, of course, you can look up what the rear taxes are in Wayne County real fast, right? Yes. I, yeah. I ask them the question as I'm looking at the screen. So is there any rear taxes owed? Well, I think the ones, and I think only the 14s are owed. I said, well, ma'am, I'm looking at the website right now. It says you owe $10,500 in taxes. Oh. <laughs> so, in other words, it kind of you kind of you see where they're at. And mentally, like, are they going to lie to me about that, which I'm going to find out sooner or later anyway? What are they lying to me about the house? Right? This is really, really so, reassuring for me because I have figured out the hard way to do some of these things because there are a lot of liars out there. And you, I try and get as much information on the phone as I can. Mm-hmm. And if I set the appointment and they lie, that's the end right there because I figure if they're going to lie about that, we're not going to get to the closing table. I mean, at the very beginning, when I started taking phone calls, I was probably more trustworthy and wanted to go on those appointments. But as those things have progressed and you're just busy, you want to use the best use of your time, right? Absolutely. So how do you get rid of those looky-loos? Because you're right. The ones that Google, if they Google and find me online, they've found Steve and they've found everybody else, right? So they have no loyalty to me, one iota. So, of course, if they're going to lie to me or just give me some misinformation – in a lot of ways, because sometimes they don't even know. Right. So um, I had a lady the other day that uh, she was like off like 3000 bucks. And uh, she said, well, you know, I got the thing right here in my hand. I said, man, what's the date on that? Oh, this is the one from 12 months ago. Well, been a year. <laughs> right. That's right. So, you know, so I don't, it's not necessarily, I call them out. I just say, well, here's what it says. And here's where we're at. And I mean, just before you guys got here, the lady called me a house on, uh, Griggs, 20,000 Griggs. And it was, it was kind of funny. familiar. Yeah. yeah. Well, she, she's on the phone with me and I'm thinking to myself, 20,000. Of course, how many, how many addresses in Detroit? And I know a lot of them have even numbers. There's not that many. No. They usually skip them on purpose. Right. So I'm thinking, man, that address sounds familiar. So I'm on my phone. Right. And I got my headset and I'm typing in my phone. I go into my calendar and sure enough, I was at that house on May 13th of 2015. <laughs> So she's going, I said, so I'm looking at my notes. I already know what I said. I said, so how much are you looking to get? Well, I was kind of hoping you'd tell me. So I'm looking through my notes and same as last time. (laughs) (laughs) I said, oh, by the way, your taxes are another 900 extra now. So, but I'll give you X if you just, I'll give you this right now and you walk away. Well, what about this and that? I said, you know, so I said, you know, ma'am, I think you and I, I looked at this house. I'm looking at my notes and this is exactly what I offered you back then too. And she called me back before you guys got here and said, well, what about the title insurance and stuff like that? And I said, no, you're going to pay for that because that's your responsibility. I'm going to pay your 4000 in taxes. 
So you could pay the two fifty, yeah. three hundred in title insurance later. So of course, so you know what I did is I went I went down the road with her to try to explain to me why I would do that. And I and I'm looking at the thirteen taxes or twelve hundred bucks. I said, here's what's gonna happen, ma'am. It was five thousand bucks. I said, I'll give you your five, I'll go pay the thirteen taxes. I'm into this house for sixty two hundred bucks. I'll put in a thousand bucks to get it rented, seven hundred a month times twelve. I got my all my money back in twelve months. I don't have to pay those fourteen taxes. That's why I would do that for you. Oh. You sure you can't give me more? No. No. <laughs> of course, at that don't at that point I know she's interested, right? Absolutely. I don't need to lower my price. Well, calling you back months later, that's never I'm saying. <laughs> that's never a good sign too, lady. You just lost. So you don't lower your price when they call back? Because I no. just immediately lower the price yeah. when they call back. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have an anti-shopping policy. I've been burned and shopped a lot. So if they reject or they don't, you have a week, you don't sign the PA from hello sign. I go and I take it off. I, I make a certain number of phone calls and then yeah. I'm done. If you call me back, I lower the price because I want, you should have taken the price when I, when I gave it to you. Maybe that's not the wrong, the right way to do it. Well, I think at that point there, let's say you do that and then they call you back again. They know you're serious, right? Because I think that most of those sellers, because they can Google who buys houses in Michigan and get 10 people. Out of those 10 people, how do they know that you're actually going to do what you say you're going to do? They don't. No. Because they think every real estate investor is a dog anyway. Absolutely. That's what they think. I'm so, not just going to give it away, Ron. Right. Are you trying to steal houses from old people? Right. <laughs> I have never, well, I haven't had anybody give me a house yet. And I don't think a 30% discount is giving anything, but. Well, even if they give it to you, I mean, how many Detroit houses have you been deeded? Oh, man. It's like, okay, well, I got that and nothing. <laughs> as frustrating as Brent could be, one of the funniest things he ever said, he was doing a presentation. I don't know if you were there, if you remember it. He says, Detroit, where you buy 10 houses, get eight. Right, yes. <laughs> Maybe seven. <laughs> i like, that's that's the truth right there. Well, buy, that's the, buy that, well, 10, that's the beauty eight. of it, though. Yeah. Right? That's true. I mean, that's how guys buy notes. You know, they buy $100 million worth of notes. If at the end of the day they got you know twenty out of those thirty houses are good houses, I guess they made money. Yeah, that's right. That's it is a numbers game to a certain yeah. extent. So I, you know, that's the way I look at it. It's, it's a whole. It's not just the house itself. So, what kind of um, how are you keeping track of all this? I know you have a good memory. Do you have a CRM or, well, or what do you do? You know, back in the day of doing REO, I had a like a a real more of a real estate um what they call REO. What was it called? REO Maestro, it was called. It was geared towards REO, so it had property preservation tasks and things like that. And then, of course, that doesn't work for what we do. And then I started using Zoho, and I started inputting all that stuff, which I know Steve uses too. And I just, I just, you know, I wasn't keeping up with it. So, I, you know, I'm not busy enough that that falls off the crack, right? Uh, okay. Now, of course, do I maybe miss deals because I don't follow up? I'm going to say yes, right? That's I still a given. do. I still do. I'm sure of it. Yeah. So the way I look at it is if some of my other partners are doing that follow-up. I don't need to do that. So with my own stuff, which is, you know, 45% or 50% of what I'm actually in business I'm doing is with the one that drives all the business to me, that I don't, at this point in time, I don't necessarily need to do that. And of course I can, I mean, I, I manage it through the email because if it, it gets into the email, if it gets an email, I can sort it and save it into a folder, then I can go back and, you know, in the kind of way I look at it too, is that maybe I'm nice enough at the the meeting that they remember that I'm a nice guy. 
And if they really want to sell, they call, right? Why Why do I want to spend, you know, a half hour following up with 10 people when all it is is another phone call and their thing, right? I, and and I, get, I get that there might be one or two that might work. I see both sides. I see what you're yeah. doing. Just whoever's the most motivated, right. whoever responds quickly, whoever fits this particular set of narrow criteria. Mm-hmm. And I also see that. You know, I, I flip back and forth on that. I tend to lean more towards the other. I'm just trying to maximize now, but well, I mean, I've I've been down the road when I was when I was running REO where I had staff that did that, and what I realized is that when the staff went away and it's just me, right? I hate doing that admin stuff. That's true. I'd rather just get the deal done. Yeah. Right. Let's just do it, and so because it still takes time to follow up with the input and right. And of course, then you got to train somebody. If you get somebody to do it for you, you got to train them to do it your way. And I just found that I was spending money I didn't, I wasn't using. So I actually just turned it off last week. I just turned that Zoho off. Um, <clears throat> so I'm trying to kind of figure out a different way of doing it. Um, you know, I mean, the answer to your question is I don't, it, it is exactly my memory. It's on my phone, just like the lady with the two, 20,000 Griggs. You remember I've seen that house. Yeah. I just searched it. Oh yeah, there it is. And of course she, I remember talking to her back in May. She was like where she was. And if I had called her 10 times in between, she still wouldn't have sold to me. She called me. I didn't have to call her and my number is still the same. And she still had the same attitude. Well, you think you could give me more? No. No. So, so anyway, why don't you fix it up and flip it? That's so, right. <laughs> I told you what, this is how you do it. This is what you can do. You can go do it. Yeah. Well, you said something there that I just love too. Let's just do it. I feel like that like 90% of the time. This is a frustration I have with, I know planning is important. I know projections are important. I know figuring things out. That's important. There are a lot of important things in life, but I also feel getting started is the most important. Mm -hmm. And I do better when I just get started and figure out as I go. Right. My wife would chime in and say, you ruined your life doing this. And that would all be true. I did, <laughs> but I'm not, I don't just do it the same way. I'm not suggesting you start a business folks. I'm not suggesting you do anything without research or all that, but at some point you do just have to do it. Well, I think that every most investors are always, all investors did something else prior to nobody ever started out being a real estate investor. There's very few. And if they did, that's because their dad was doing it or Alan Daniels, the only one I can think of. Yeah. I mean, now I can see my boy. He's, I'm training him. He's 17 years old. He likes what working. What advantage too, man. He work. he likes working with his daddy. And right now I got him demoing houses and got a house in Bloomfield that we're doing. And he's been doing the demo for the last three weeks by himself. And he's he, got that young energy too. Yeah. And, yeah, and he's, he's been kind of, he's been trying to get his buds at school to help him. And he can't realize, he can't figure out, these guys don't want to work. You know, welcome I, to life, son. That's right. So, <laughs> so he's learning how to, he's in this house that we're doing is a big job. It's not a small one. So I was just telling him last night, I said, you know what, when we get done with this, you're going to know everything that we need to do. We had to get rid of some trees. We're taking out br- bricks. We're taking out the tile floor that's been there. That was put in in 1960. And the stuff has got three layers of mud and, you know, so at the end of the day, we're moving some walls. So he's getting the experience, and that sounds like a big rehab. It is. Yeah. Well, yeah. Do you mind sharing the numbers on that? Or um, right, well, it's a house that I've been trying to wholesale for a while that I finally ended up having to buy. One of those things where I do Oops. what I Ron does what he says he's going to do. Wait, wait, that would be. What's that? 
I buy yes. in my homes.com. <laughs> yeah. I buy in my homes.com. Ladies and gentlemen, go there. Ron does what he says he's going to do. All right, continue. Make sure so, I plug you. So on this particular one, I bought it. We paid a little much for it. I was trying to wholesale it. And, I, and of course, the number got there. And, you know, I was I almost had it done twice on a wholesale side. And it was only going to take just a little bit. And it just never worked out. And uh, so I, I got the you know, they got the seller to let me, this is kind of an interesting deal is the seller's payment because the juice would have been about a point and a quarter a month. So my buy-in would have been Ouch. roughly about two eighty to, 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 to get the house. Right. So of course in the nuts at a buck and a quarter or a point and a quarter to borrow that cash to buy it. Well, the sellers after all going down the road and just building some rapport with the seller, we just say, well, just let me take over your mortgage, which is only costing me about a half a point for the money. Now the difference is I don't have to pay the I got to pay the money every month instead of at the end of the day. Yes. So of course I've got to make those payments, but at the you know when you think about the savings of that, created a lot of space too. Didn't yeah, it? absolutely. Yeah. So I took my rehab number and you know took the the acquisition cost, and now we're flipping it into the rehab side. Now it's a deal. Hmm. So I got a, hooked up with a guy that's going to give gave me the rehab cash. It's about a hundred k. That's a big rehab. So. And we're working through that. We just we just started about three weeks ago, and because I got to get some, they got some major walls coming down that I need to. You know, I can't just go in there and knock them down, and the city doesn't think anything, right? That's Bloomfield Hills on top of that. Yeah, they'll crawl up your so, butt. Yeah. So, and of course, a couple of the neighbors noticed that we were banging and snorting, and uh, the city came out and they didn't really like tag the house. They just said, "Hey, what are you doing?" <laughs> So I called the guy. I said, "Hey, this is where we're going. I'm demoing the house now. I just need some time to get the plans together. I'll be bringing those in." And of course, the roofing guy went and pulled the permit too. So now they know from the roof guy. So, but uh, so right now we're going to be into it probably about three eighty. Sell it for five. Oh wow! It's going to be an awesome house. My wife is a my wife is kind of a you know kind of a sleeper designer. She loves to do that, but she has a regular job too. She's a school teacher. And uh, so we've been, you know, figuring out the floors and the bathroom and we've got this quad level house that's kind of, of course, quad levels in Michigan are kind of hard to sell, right? So the bedrooms upstairs are kind of tiny with a little, little like half bath for the master bath. So we're having to reconfigure that floor plan. And so she's kind of, there's not enough room in there for a a tub and a shower like you would normally need for a $500,000 house. So we've kind of figured out a way to get everything into that room with the closet. And so anyway, so my wife is awesome at that process of color scheme and just kind of spatial stuff, which I'm lousy at. Yeah, I'm no good at yeah. that. We're picking out shingles. She's going, do you see the brown in there? No. <laughs> it's got red in it. Really? <laughs> sure, baby. Or, yeah, where do you sure. see that red? We'll get the other ones. <laughs> yes. Thank you for pointing that out to uh, me. By the way. Can you just pick it out and just tell me how we're to send the check? That'll be easier for yes. me. Yes. All the so, rehabs I did, I, I literally did them all the same way. I don't care what people want. They <laughs> go like this. It's You're getting a beige color. You're getting yes. something off-white. The bathroom is in a semi-gloss. So is the kitchen. So is the trim. I When I did all those Detroit houses, I had a very boring way of doing them. That's as much thought as I put into them. And, of course, it kind of go back to, the, you know, the whole reason like Brian does what he says he's going to do is the the credibility I've got in the business allowed that seller to know that Ron was going to follow through. 
Well, that's an interesting way to structure the deal, too. You would not have been able to structure the deal that way if you could not build rapport and you did not have trust. And it wasn't like I and it wasn't like I didn't try to close. It wasn't like it wasn't like I couldn't wholesale it. And then I went back to the seller and said, look, sorry, this is what the number needs to be. I just said, just give me some more time. Give me some more time. Give me some more time. And of course, we got down the road and I said, and, and, and the seller's got a lawyer. <clears throat> and so conversing with the three of us trying to figure out how do we do this and protect everybody. And we just came up with the, holy shit, you did that with a lawyer? Yeah. So My God, you took over <laughs> payments with a lawyer? I never thought that would happen. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, it was like, it was kind of like you would have thought of that initially, that that would have been a good strategy to use but the seller would have never gone for that if that's where i went the first try probably not no, right yeah. because i was like well i'm not gonna do that and of course you know the number number that i was paying them to begin with should have been a good number i don't know why everybody tells me i was 50 grand too heavy I, but i look at it and say well the comps are this and of course the comps were hard to confirm you know sometimes you just feel it right and of course, you know, wholesaling, feeling the price isn't a good thing. No, it's not. <laughs> right? <'Cause, laughs> I felt some wrong shit. Yes, I'll tell I you that. <laughs> Whoops. So I um, hate that phone call. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I try not to do that. I haven't had one of those in a while. I try really hard not to do that. I, although I am definitely going to shamelessly steal your. Well, I could do that, but it'll take 60 days and you might end up. I think I might go back and listen to this multiple times and just. Well, when you think about that, that strategy, you're giving them. They're making the decision, not Absolutely. you. Right? No, that's genius. I love right? it. You know, if you want to take my price and close, here's the number. I'll guarantee that close. Because the reason I can say that is because of all my experience and guys I know behind me, that if I, if that's a deal, I can sell that deal. I don't need to worry about it. Even if I want to fund it and buy it myself or to wholesale it, it's not going to matter, right? Because I think that the problem that a wholesaler mostly has is this is explaining to the seller what you're doing. And if you have no clue and confidence in what you're doing, in other words, well, you're going to buy my house and sell it to somebody else for money? Yeah. Well, why don't I do that? Of course, they don't, they don't yeah. know how to explain it, right? Yeah. So guys like Steve and I, we can say, okay, here's the process, right? Because we've been through it a million times, right? And I mean, even a couple, you know, a couple of other deals that we got going, we got the stupid realtors, right, in oh, the yeah. way trying to explain to them how does a normal wholesaler say well this is how we're going to do it because you're a realtor and this is how you're going to get paid you know you get I, challenged on that a lot we, yeah we had one deal die a nasty death at the table because of that oh, here's brutal brutal death house in pontiac uh, uh i paid i paid too much for it and i knew it but i did that whole tactic with the 60 days right and i knew when i took that guy's number i was just going to list it so i put it in the mls of course it says you know, buy with that sell or listing agent has equitable interest. That's what I put in there, right? So these agents call. What does that mean? Well, can you sell? Are you the seller? No. Well, how can you sell a house you don't own? Easy. Yeah. You want me to teach you? Yeah. <laughs> For five ninety nine, go right. to. So on this particular one in, in Pontiac, the the realtor, the, the buyer, um, it was in Seminole Hills. The buyer was so hot to buy a house in that neighborhood. That buyer would do anything. Just buy this house, right? So, so I figure out the numbers. I'm going to walk away with about ten grand, which is a normal wholesale thing, right? But I got to buy it, right? But I'm not going to pull that trigger and buy it until I know that his loan is cleared. 
Yeah, right? absolutely. Right? Yeah. So I'm waiting and waiting. And guess what? It's a Quicken loan. Oh, man. So I'm thinking there isn't another. There's not too many guys that I can think of outside of maybe Steve that we could get this deal done knowing that Quicken's in the way. Right. So, of course, I get that. I get that phone call because Quicken's using their own title. Right. The title company calls me up, and says, Ron, you're not in title. Yeah, really? Yeah. You're right. I'm not. I will be at the time we close, but I'm not now. Well, how can you do that? Well, I have a contract that says I can sell this house this way. You can? I said, yes. So then the underwriter calls me. Ron, how can you, how much did you pay for it? I said, why is that relevant? Well, it's relevant. I said, you got an appraisal, don't you? Yeah. Is the appraisal at our price? Yes. Well, not then, relevant. Then why is that relevant? He says, well, we're not going to do this unless you tell me. So I tell him. And so he says, wow. He goes, I said, hey, you know, don't you wish you were me? <laughs> so they actually did it? Yeah. Wow, I'm amazed. So because what exactly what happened is I got the conditional approval subject to the title. But Ron needed to be in title. That's all it said. Ron can fix that. So I went to close. For 10 grand, Ron can fix that <laughs> <Yes>. fast. <laughs> so, Turns out I already got it fixed. There you go. Right. So yeah. my point being is that most wholesalers don't understand the mechanics of that flow. Right. Because number one, they're not, they don't understand what real estate they're looking at. Well, I buy it here and sell it here. That's my money. Well, yeah, you're right, but you got to get from A, B to C. And how do you do that legally? Right. Without being the flipper, being that guy that inflated the price. Right. Well, since you brought it up, I want to talk about it. A little maybe controversy, perhaps. This equitable interest seems to be something. No, it is. I, Joe disagrees. Lots of people disagree. I'm with you. It seems clear to me. And I'm not you. But you have all these years of experience. Big swinging dick REO broker. Thousands of deals more than everybody else. I know in your opinion it's perfectly legal. Have you heard the arguments against the equitable interest and listening on the MLS and you're not actually? Well, here's the key. you got to have a contract that says that I can sell it on the MLS. It's that simple. That's what I thought. That's all you got to do. So our contracts that Steve and I use say that. Absolutely. Specifically. Yeah. So buyer has the right to list, sell, fart, whatever, yeah. to this property. And if they don't like that, then we, I mean, most people don't even notice it really. And interestingly enough, and I don't list property that's occupied, right? That doesn't make any sense, right? Because how do you list some of the sellers living in it still? How do you list it? <clears throat> it's usually the out-of-state buyer or seller or a probate thing where it's empty. And you tell them right up, on this is what I'm going to do. Because if you don't disclose that to the seller, then you can, I mean, there is some issue there in regards to that disclosure, right? So if it's vacant and they're out-of-state, most of the time they're not even really even know. So if you put it in the MLS and then when the agent calls you, he just said, look, here's how it's going to come down. I'd rather you send me a cash offer because we're just going to assign it. Well, how do I get, because what are they worried about, Steve? How do I get paid? Yeah, that's, they want to, wait a second, am I do all this work and not get paid? Hey, dude, I'm going to pay you. Yeah, right? You're getting paid, son. You're getting paid. The assignment agreement is going to say this, this, and this, and this is what you're making. That's we, simple. We just had a deal blow up sort of because of that, because the guy just didn't trust that he was going to get paid. So, mm -hmm. So now he won't. Yeah. <laughs> he made sure he wasn't going to get yeah. paid. Yeah. What sense does that make? Because, you know, it's interesting how those buyer agents like that, they, they, they're so hot on their contracts, but then they don't want to list. They don't want to. Something that it's always, if you don't understand that there's fear, right? And if you're afraid, you won't do it. It's that simple. And, of course, if there, of course then you've got the other, the agents that got their own brokers, right? 
or because now the broker's going, you can't do that. Yeah. Well, tell me why I can't do that. I love when I get to educate brokers and even I'm, I'm not a broker, but also I'm sure that goes over well too. Oh yeah, it's awesome. They love it. They, they take me to lunch later and tell me how awesome it was to be told they were wrong. That's never happened. <laughs> never. Not no, once. Not once. But also Ron, you said, you know, that it's fear. It is. And what does fear stand for? False evidence appearing real. So there you go. They don't know what they're talking about. They're that's scared. Awesome. They're worried. So, mm-hmm. well, that's the, always the that's always the thing you got to do with any seller is get them over the fear of what you're doing, right? Because if you go to them and say, "Hey, I'm going to buy your house for fifty and sell it for sixty and collect a ten, that's what I'm going to do." Really? That's how you're going to do that? Yeah, that's how I make money. So if you if you want to sell it for sixty, go ahead. I get the list is over here. It's my list. Oh, by the way, I'll sell it to you for ten k. Right? Give me ten grand. I'll give you my list. No problem. Yes. Right. <laughs> so you can have it. <laughs> That's right. Copy. Yeah. Go do what you got to do. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. how do you explain? Because this, this is just purely for my own selfish gain here. How do you explain the assignment thing and the listing on the MLS to other agents? Call in. Do you have a script? You tell them that kind of thing. Well, not necessarily. And I guess maybe it's where I just go back to my experience because a lot of there's a lot the real estate community knows me a lot of them do you know not everybody knows me anymore because i'm not as you know back in the day i would have 200 listings right you have that many listings and that many signs the the agents know who you are so i still kind of live off of that reputation so when i explained to them i said look here's how it's coming down i'm not the seller i have the right to sell this property though I said, "Will do you send me a purchase agreement with however you feel like it? You know, if you want, if the list price is sixty five thousand, you send me a, you send me an offer at sixty five. I said, once we get to the number, I'll send you back the right paperwork that we can execute. That's what we're going to do. And here's how it's going to come down: your buyer is going to pay the price I'm paying at the closing. There's going to be a fee in between those two numbers. Part of that fee, guess what? It's going to be yours." Right. Part of that fee's mine. Yeah. So yeah. part of it's mine, part of it's yours. I'm by the way, I'm paying you. Not the seller, not the buyer, but me. So you want to be nice to me because I'm paying you. So here's how we're gonna do that. And of course it, the contract is clean. The title company does what they're supposed to, where it's not like we're going to Starbucks and writing checks and exchanging deeds. Yeah, you're not right? doing it at a liquor store on top no. of a gumball machine. This That's is a title right. company, title insurance, mm-hmm. licensed, all that. Now the only thing that I that typically I have trouble with most is disclosures because they're so ingrained in their brain that they gotta have a disclosure. Seller's disclosure or lead base, right? The only time can I say to them, look, I'm the seller. I'm the one selling the house. You're taking over. I'm the buyer in this contract. You're taking over my position. I don't need disclosures because I'm in, I'm a party to the transaction. So if you want disclosures because your broker whines at you because that's what you need to get paid, I'm fine with that. But I'm not, I can't do that because I'm not the seller technically. I'm the buyer, right? I can't pull out the disclosures. Yeah. I'm the buyer. And they usually, because by th- usually what happens about the closing, once I know it's going to close, then I'll get the seller to sign those, you know, disclosures if yeah, I have to. Yeah, that's what I've done too. And because even the title company that I use doesn't require them. No. Because it's not a title requirement. It's a, it's a requirement of, you know, the lead base is more an issue than the seller's disclosure. And actually, and Steve and attest to this, once it actually closes, there's no requirement of those disclosures because everybody has agreed to sign. They've signed the docs. 
the money's exchanged, everything's dispersed, the deal's over. There's no law that says that after it's over with, you can come back. It's if you don't want to close then, that's when you have the opportunity. And of course, at that point, they've done their inspections and they're comfortable anyway. And, you know, if, if you're doing a straight-up assignment, that means it's a cash sale anyway. So, because like the one I did in Pontiac, it was two different contracts. You know, one for me, I went to that close on my contract, and then... Yeah, you double-close that Right, one, you right? have to double-close yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, that costs money on my side, right? You know, it's another three, four grand for all that difference. But, um, but I mean, I, I, I get your... I think it's more of a... Uh, their broker puts the fear in them instead of the agent. Um, Cause another deal we have that Steve and I have going is kind of the same way. The buyer is a very savvy investor. He's just using a mortgage, the agent. We just, we took the contract that we had instead of doing an assignment, we just changed the name. Now there's no way that two guys that don't trust each other, meaning Steve and I, yeah. do that deal and Hell change no. the name, right? Absolutely. Because when I change the name, it takes him out of the loop. Yeah. He's guaranteeing or he's trusting me to get that job done. So how do you do that? Well, by the way, the earnest money deposit needs to be $75,422.52. Why is it such a weird number, Ron? Because that's my money. You know, you're going to the table with this money. I'm getting paid right now, right? So we're protecting ourselves right up from the get-go. And oh, by the way, that earnest money deposit is non-refundable. The minute you sign that paper, it's gone. So nothing happens unless the seller doesn't close. So, you know, my point being is that we, there's where I, I think my experience comes in is that understanding how to protect everybody. And oh, by the way, we're not going to get paid unless we close. So let's make sure we close, right? The follow-up, the making sure the paperwork's right, making sure the title company's doing what they're supposed to, blah, blah, blah. So... I like, I personally, I like listing them. I don't think that's a, such a big deal. I don't see why it is no. either, but I, no. you brought it. I wasn't going to bring it up. You brought it up. You feel comfortable talking about it. Mm-hmm. I see it come up all the time. I see it come up in Facebook groups. So I thought I would just address it. And, and I, I would agree that somebody else you've interviewed on this podcast, Mr. Joe Delia yeah. does not agree. Or even Mr. Daniels. Yes. Right? Daniels does not agree either. He, he would be totally against it. But As you know, I would I like say, him. Mr. Daniels does not approve, son. He does That's not right. approve. But you know what? Alan's very experienced, right? Sometimes you should heed some advice. And I think that if you walk the line, there's ways to, I'm not even sure I can even think up of a scenario that would be walking the line too close. But to me, I just look at the whole picture and see what are we trying to accomplish, right? And if it looks funny... You know, if it looks like a duck, it must be a duck. So let's stay away from it if it's if it's bad, right? I'm a fan of telling people what what we're doing too. If you mm-hmm. tell people what you're doing, right, and you're honest about it, I don't I don't see what the issue is. No, I think where a lot of the resistance comes from is the fear, and then the second one is, well, do they know? Well, yeah, I told them. It, beside it being in the contract, we right. told them that this is this is what we're doing. You might get people driving by the house too, because you, you mm-hmm. want to. At least for me, I want to get in front of it, right? Because surprise is never a good thing. I found in a deal, surprise is a terrible thing. Surprise kills deals. You surprise somebody, right? You're very likely to kill. Well, then the deal. You, because you have, weren't transparent. Yep. Right. You weren't. They're thinking if you're gonna, if you're not going to tell me the whole truth, what aren't you telling me too? Right. I mean, it's the way I look at it when sellers don't tell me everything. Oh yeah. Well, 
why is there water trailing from the corner? Oh, I spilled something out of the washer the other day. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I totally the, believe that. I wasn't born way. yesterday, and I know what that looks like. So, you know, you just kind of smell it, right? I, so. I believe that 100%. Mm-hmm. How did you... So you are working on some flips too, but how did you really get started finally wholesaling? Um, I don't know, fast money. Fast money. I like fast money too. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know. I, I've i got financial challenges for the last 10 years. Actually, it goes all the way back to probably 18 years when it hurt my back. You know, I've been broke twice in my life mm-hmm. and, I, you know, just hustling and trying to make that work, you know. Um, there's one thing I like about Brent, the story, Brent's story is, and he'll tell you, you know, how much he got hurt with money. Oh yeah. Right. And I'm like him. There's not one person on the planet that I haven't said to them, I will pay you back. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to walk away from the debt. This is not going to be today. Yeah. Right. I got to feed my family too, just like you. And we took risks and I'm going to walk down the road that at the end of the day, if I pass away, I'm going to, Ryan can say that he did everything he could to, to make things right. And that's exactly, and I've done it twice. So I've never ever filed bankruptcy a day in my life. Um, you know, it's just, I've always taken the stance that you got to do, you have to take care of your responsibilities. In my opinion, there's, you know, the way that I live my life is God first, my wife second, and everybody, then my kids, my family, and then everything else, right? That's just kind of how I do it. And, I don't tout my religion so much, right? And you can attest to that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So you and I have a little bit of a difference on that, but. I would say polar opposites. <laughs> yeah. But we can have a, an honest discussion about what we believe or don't believe, and we can cohabitate and do I'm business. easy to get along with, man. I, wanna, yeah. <laughs> I, like, I would like hanging out with sharks, and I like making money, and I like learning, and I like being held accountable. These are things that I like. So well, I can tell you what I can think of. One only. There's no other people on. I got a five fingers in my hand. There's one person I know that's read the Bible as much as you have. Yeah. That still takes the stance that they do. Yes. That's an amazing thing to me. Mm-hmm. I'm on. So, I'm on my sixth go right now. Yeah. So. With the ESV because this one's going to change my mind. So I've been told, Mister Daniel. Yeah. I've been reading the wrong ones. I, I personally enjoy it when I, and I don't mind getting off topic a little bit here. I don't, if you haven't read the Bible, I highly encourage you to, not because I want you to convert or anything like that, but history, art, literature, none of it makes any sense until you actually read it. And don't just gloss over it, read it. Mm-hmm. And I would say the same thing about Greek mythology, Roman mythology. History, literature, these things don't make sense. And this, these are things people are concerned about. If you want to understand these things, you have to read it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it just doesn't make any sense. Of course, from the human nature standpoint, people want to believe what they want to believe, right? So the Bible is a difficult book to, to believe out of context. And, it, and it's, not like a, it's not a continuous story from the beginning to the end. Because well, it's not it, really it, a story at all. Well, it's, it kind of goes in, yeah. it goes around itself, right? Especially the Old Testament, where it talks about the time. The time frame isn't in consecutive years, right? So if you if you because of the way it's put together, right? So you know, obviously, and it's interesting what you think about it, the flood. If you if you want to believe in how the process of the world is, was a the flood is in Genesis chapter twenty, 
It's like the first 20, 20 chapters of the, of the the whole book. The world comes and goes and is destroyed by God in the first 20 chapters. Genesis is my favorite part yeah. of the book, too. Yeah. So yeah. I think what do you think about that for a second? Yeah. Right? And, of course, you know, the, what did we just find in, in some city in Michigan? A woolly mammoth. <laughs> yeah. I just like I, I don't I don't laugh. I just say God is great. God just showed how powerful he is. Like the guy's out there digging around, he's going, What is that? <laughs> Woolly mammoth. But, yeah. So I mean the, the God shows his power every day and how he how things happen to us, right? And, and, and the Allegedly. Right. <laughs> well the when you think about the just the the laws of nature, let's just if you want to call if you want to look are they're systematic. There's a reason why things happen and they usually happen always the same way. Well, who did that? You know, could it just be a happenstance that that happened? Personally, I think it's harder to believe in, in evolution and those types of things. than it is to believe that the Bible is actually true. Really? Yeah. I'm absolutely. curious about that. Yeah. I, yeah. Let's not get off topic. Huh? So well, no, <laughs> I just, uh, I find it, I, I take the, the opposite route. I, I look at, we're one of hundreds of trillions of galaxies. And for whatever reason, this was all done for us for the last hundred thousand years that we've been humans on the, it just seems too much for me. And you just happen to be born into the culture you're born into. You just happen to like this book. If you're born in the middle East, you're very likely to be a Muslim. If you're born in India, like right now, the Hindus just murdered some guy on the rumor that he may or may not have been eating beef during their special freaking holiday, you know? And to me, it is unbelievable in that sense. However, I leave all the room open for God. I just, when I read the book, I go, this is just something humans wrote. Well, I think that the the simple part of it is pride. You don't want to think as a human that somebody else is in control of what you do, right? Wouldn't you agree? That the pride is the kind of, is why you don't want to believe a certain way is because for whatever, and there's different degrees of that pride in my opinion, you know, why do I want to submit myself to a God who seemingly kills people? Yeah. But which God killed people? Well, that's, that's how I always come back to Like I don't see it as a pride thing at all. I think it's a little bit self-centered narcissistic. I think there's a plan and it was all, this was all done with my ape ass in mind, right? So I right. could find this book. Well, isn't that the pride though? That was poorly written. No, it just seems, uh, I don't think you would say it was pride that stopped you from converting to Islam. That's why I say. So the corollary is if you're going to take this revealed truth, because you're not talking about evidence or there would be evidence, you're talking about a revealed truth in the form of a book. God writes books. He doesn't do movies or radio shows or text or apparently bother to do miracles anymore, which would be particularly useful, God, (laughs) for those of us who are maybe having a hard time buying into this. You're very helpful early on and then just decided I'm not going to do any of these amazing things. Um, I can think of lots of things. This is this is always the, the question I have. I can think of multiple reasons for me to change my mind about God. I wouldn't say the Christian God or the Muslim God. Any God. Can you think of reasons why you wouldn't be? Because I can think of reasons why I would. For instance, microbiology. You don't have to explain germs to say, hey, don't shit and piss in the water you drink. 
Could have been in there anywhere. They could have put it. Would have been good on the first page, considering how many humans died. You're going to be tempted to poop and pee in water you drink. Just don't do it. Bad idea. Like, I'm not saying that would 100% convince me, but enough of those certainly would. Like, the things like that would help me believe. And, of course, he could just come down and make it very plainly clear to me, right? Make the moon disappear. Well, course, and, and I guess the argument, not the argument, the, the explanation I would use was that is that is God wants us to believe in the by faith, not by proof, right? I understand that. Okay, so the proof was the proof was actually in a time that we weren't around, which was when Christ died on the cross. That's the proof, right? But we weren't there to even witness that in our time, nor people before that, right? Well, most even, people on the planet weren't there to witness it, right? Well, of course, if, yeah. you, if you think about what the Bible says, the Bible says that is is that the people prior to Christ's death they weren't brought to salvation in the same way that we are today. So if you're a saved Christian believing, <clears throat> you believe because Christ died. That's what you believe. If you're prior to that, well, Christ didn't die because he wasn't here yet, which is why the whole process of what the Jewish you know, leadership at the time, why they did what they did is because he was proclaiming that he was, right? That's why they killed him. What about this Joseph Smith guy? You heard about these plates yeah. in uh, upstate New York, yeah. Ron? Yeah. Well, you know, see, the, the, no? the, the human nature thing or the humanness of those. And, of course, you know, I, I always often think to myself, what would I do if I was around in Jesus's time? If I were a believing Jew, what would I think? Right. I would be staunch in what I believe because I got a book which would be the, the Old Testament, which wasn't called the Old Testament at that point. But, you know, that's what my belief is. It's not any more staunch or any more critical than what we believe today, right? We believe in the 66 books. That's what we believe. So, I would wonder how you know which particular uh, branch of Protestantism that you subscribe to and how you differentiate between all other 30,000 plus denominations which have different variations of you're going to hell you're going to heaven and well, how you reconcile that well i mean how many different besides outside of the quran or is there another <clears throat> within because even joseph smith as we speak he had he just added to the bible you know the main part of the bible that he uses the king james version right it's well not, yeah it's not lost it's not his me. own version yeah, so he just added to it. They were Jews, and then the Christians ripped off the Jews. Right. And then the Muslims ripped off the Christians and the Jews. Because think about the, Je the Jehovah's Witness, how they believe. Yep. They believe that Christ was just a nice prophet. They don't believe that he was the Christ. Right? Actually, a lot of Christians are not dead set on Jesus being God. I would agree. And they that. would say the Lord he's the Son of God. But That's right. A lot of them would say, no, he's absolutely God. This is where see where it gets really confusing for yes. me. And I don't see how anybody can speak with any sort of clarity on the subject because I've read the book. I'm relatively intelligent. I don't see how it's clear at these at well, these think, junctions or not. Well, I think the, the biggest thing you got to take away is the human the human has an innate desire to follow something, right? There's, he wants to know that there was something better than him because when you get down to the, the bottom side of things, in other words – all of the lousy things that happen in your life. Why? Why do I got to spend 75 years going through this stuff? And what's going to be at the end? I get to be going into the dirt like the dog? Yeah. Why do I, right? Because you're, the dog don't care. He's not caring. Well, the dog cares going to the dirt. Because he, he pees and poops in his own, in his, in his water. He'll do it. Well, humans right? did it. Actually, yeah. there are humans on this planet still doing <laughs> it right so, now. So my point to the, 
to the point of all of that is our our human side seeks that reason to live, right? Yes. And why is that there? In my opinion, it's because God put it there. God breathes air into our into Adam and Eve's lungs, or Adam to be specific. So I why? say we ask a lot of stupid questions. Yeah. I don't think a lot of these questions have answers. Why? Why not? Well, you know what? Why when not? You, when you get planted six foot under, you're going to know. I right. don't think you will. <laughs> I'm on the other side where uh, wherever that place was before you were born that you can't remember, that that's, that's it, and it's just yeah, done. You don't remember when you were inside, right? I don't. My However, does. I remain open to new evidence at all times. So if new evidence presents itself, I will change my mind. How I changed my mind was I got tired of, and I'm not, this is not, please don't tie it too close together. I got tired of pretending. I had a life of pretending. I grew up pretending. And then when I left the house, I continued to pretend. And these things caught up with me. I didn't pretend in ways like you, you would think, like the aviator or something like that. But I pretended that things were true that I couldn't prove were true and turned out not to be true. At which point I decided to turn to an evidence-based empirical view of life, which some people call cold. Um, But at this point I'm in a results-oriented mindset and and have been for years. So so let's kind of tie it in with real estate. Or at least my life, because we're talking about absolutely, we talk about yeah. me, right? That's right. So we tie that into me. That's why I haven't gone crazy. Because when I said I've been broke twice in my life, it's been tough, right? And you can relate, and Steve can relate. We can relate to the adversity in our life, right? How do we deal with that adversity? Well, I just know that I'm glad it's not me. Why did God do that for me? Why did God give me the success? Why did he give me the knowledge that I have that ultimately feeds my family, right? Which is real estate. You know, because there's a lot of guys that try to do real estate and you look at him, you say, you ain't going to be any good at that. You're just not. You can't negotiate. You can't do this or whatever. There's no follow. You know, there's just different talents. I mean, I can look at a guy at one of those REA meetings and say, you're going to make it because I can tell by their mentality. I can't pick them. Yeah. I can't Some of these guys, I, and I, you, and they always come to guys like Steve and I because you're up there telling them what you do. They see the success they want to do, right? They want to follow, which is fine. And then I give them, you know, I give them a, an hour of my time some other time, and I can tell within that hour whether they're going to be making it or not. Because if they're making an excuse about this or that, or, or you know, they're, they're, I can see in their eyes that they're taking advantage of my knowledge. And of course, when they call me twenty times in a day or they got a deal and they don't know what to do with it. And I tell them, I got a couple agents that work for me that I always say to them, you know, I always, I always praise them and say, I like the fact that you actually do what I tell you to do. It's helpful. You want me to return your phone (laughs) call, right? right? Well, you know, you come to me, you, you know, that I have some experience. I don't know everything, but if you call me and I say, here's what I think you should do. And then you go do something else. That doesn't make sense to me. It's funny you should say that. That's so, why we're doing this podcast today. Yeah. <laughs> because I put out to some people that I like, know, and trust and care about, and they gave me feedback, and I was going to post it anyway until I thought about it and said, why am I asking for people I trust and their feedback? And I let a couple people listen to it, and they gave me feedback, and then I would completely be dismissive of their feedback 
I that was a little too much for me to. I was like, you know what? If I if I want to continue getting this good feedback in my life, I need to be willing to accept it too. It doesn't mean I can't release it at a later date, but right now I'm going to accept their feedback. Their feedback was keep it real estate related. It's okay if you go off a little bit, but this was like two hours and 50 minutes of BS with 10 minutes of real estate, you know? Well, if you kind of correlate it to do anything in life, how do you, I mean, kids, if you talk about procedural things, right? What does Ron do that make you that causes a success? What does Ron do? Well, Ron tries to treat everybody like Ron wants to be treated, which is a biblical thing, right? I don't lie, cheat, or steal. Not even for my own benefit. If I do, it's inadvertent. It wasn't on purpose. And if you call me out on it, I'm going to say, thanks for telling me, right? There's where you kind of take away, there's where you're talking about what you're talking about, about, about if you're asking for feedback, you darn well better take it, right? So if you don't, and that's what, that's what I do all of the time. In other words, I listen, you know, I try to listen to what people say, especially what you, what do you do when you're talking to a seller? You're talking to them, trying to figure out their pain. Yes. How do you fix the pain? They don't they don't care how many houses you bought or that you've got cash behind you all day and you can sell it or buy it. They just want to know how you fix it. Well, madam, how much money do you, what is it? Well, I got five brothers and, you know, we can't split up 10 grand between five people. Well, ma'am, it's not the house's fault you have five heirs. The house is worth what it's worth. You know, so I can't help that it's only 10K that you're going to get. So, but, but how do we, how do we get around to whatever, you know, my point being is, is, is you try to figure out what their hotspot is and then fix it. And if you can't fix it, it's okay. You can't fix them all. And maybe they're not ready today. Maybe they're ready later, you know? So, I mean, what I try to do is to visualize, you know, what I would be like in their spot. What, how, how would I feel if they, if I was talking to them? And I think that's where a lot of, real estate guys who try to get into real estate is their people skills are terrible. Right? I would agree with that. And the people that are the most successful, in my opinion, are the ones that can build that rapport. The mechanical side of it, anybody can do that. You don't even need to know who that is. You need to be able to read a list and accomplish tasks. That's right. it. Right. So when you go to the house and you're talking with them and you know they can actually understand you when you talk to them, right? You know, you're not gibberish. And you're not like disinterested in their problem or, you know, the empathy, right? Especially when you show up at somebody's house that's died, you know, being disheartening about that or, or saying, Hey, you know, are you going to sell that TV? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You do that after you get to the number, that TV sitting over there, I got from a house I bought in Shelby and the guy was moving back to Florida. And I said, you know, after I get to the number, we signed a contract. I said, what are you going to do with that television? You want it? Hell yeah, I want yeah like, I'm glad you brought that well, you up. Know, I got a brand new 46, but I can take a 55. It's not a problem. Yeah. Of course, then when I get to the house, I'm like, like, like carrying anything out the door before he takes it with him. But my point being is you gotta, it's not about that. You know what I mean? It's about fixing their, and if you give them that sense of empathy with whatever situation, they'll sell you, they'll give you, or they'll let you buy it at the price that you can make some money and do what you gotta do. And, yeah, if you can't, it seems if you can't empathize and or be agreeable, you're probably in the wrong business, yeah, right? Absolutely. I mean, this mm-hmm. is a, you have to be at least somewhat agreeable and without a little bit of empathy, I don't see how you can solve some of these problems because you don't understand what the problem is. And of course, if you go to my website, 
iBuyInMyHomes.com. dot com, folks. Go. When you get there, you know who Ron is. Absolutely. There's no there's no question. It is an excellent website. Hi, I'm Ron. Right? And I get the feedback all the time from the, the national guys, you know, where they, they have their own, you know, the uglyhouse.com or whatever. You get there, you don't know who that is because people are buying those zip codes. Right? Yeah. So they can't put their name there if they no. want to. Nope. So in my case, I get that feedback all of the time. Well, Ron, I, I felt like I knew you when I called you. Great. That's the way to do it. So I'm glad that you called, and here's what we're going to do, and, you know, that kind of stuff. So. How can we get Ron to do some YouTube videos or a podcast or whatever, besides having to haul all our junk out to his house all the time? Have you considered? I've talked to you about this before, but have you considered, like, a YouTube channel or a podcast? I would listen. I think Steve would listen too, right? Well, you know, here, here's my feedback on on the podcast thing. I think it's hard to keep the content changing, right? Absolutely. I think, you know, which is kind of why I piped in yesterday with your thread on Facebook was, and I wasn't telling you what to do. I just said, be a leader. What, make a decision, moron. I did. Right? I did. I appreciate it, too. <laughs> that's exactly, I mean, that's all I said to you. Did right? I not make one immediately? You did. Okay. You, you like called me like seconds later. I can be taught, <laughs> folks. I can be taught. So, I might not be able to figure it out on my own, but when led to the direct, correct direction, I will follow. And a hundred times people said, why don't you coach? I've been coached. And part of the challenges I had with coaches is I felt like I was just another student. Right. I don't want to charge you 500 bucks for a half hour of speaking to me. I'd rather do a deal with you because I got to postpone it for a half hour. Yeah. Right. To me, it's to me, it's got to be if I'm going to do that, that's what I'm going to do. So I'd rather that's why I tell people that come up to me and say, you know, Ron, you know, can we have lunch or something? I said, look, here's my card. You can call me anytime, day or night. I say, if you want to send me an email, I'll respond to your email. I said, but you know, if you call me and I don't answer, it's not, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just busy. If I don't call you back, it's, there's a reason for it. I have four kids to feed right. yeah. and deals to work on and, and the pipeline way, if, to if fill. If you text me, I'm most likely going to respond to you, right? You hear that, folks? This so, is, uh, <laughs> if you have his number, the, the workaround is a text. So texting me is always a good thing. If you text me an address and say, hey, Ryan, do you think this is a deal? I'll respond to you because you know what? I may want to buy that house from you. So that's the way I look at it, and because there's always opportunity, and sometimes the best ones aren't the most obvious ones, right? And when you, because there goes back to my whole scarcity and you know abundance thing, is of course if, you know if you call me up and say, hey, you know, how much do you? And I can say, well, I'll charge you five hundred bucks. That's okay. Now, of course, when I go to my list, here's what I usually do: is if you want to send your property to my list, I charge you five hundred bucks. If you want me to go to the house. With you, you owe me half. Yes, absolutely. So yep. if I got to get out of my chair or do something more than sit in my chair, you owe me half. Yeah. It's that simple. So if you simply want some advice or you want to use my list, because my list is loyal. When I send it out to my list, it's at the top. This is not my property. You call this guy direct. He'll take care of me. And then so if you go around me, he's going to know. Those guys are going to know, and they're going to call me anyway. So you you do what you think, is, but it's 500 bucks. That's it. That's all, Ron. Five hundred bucks. Hey, if all I get I mean, to send an email, that where, seems like a good deal. Where else? You right? Yeah. Who else are you gonna do? How else are you gonna make? How, what other thing can you do for five hundred bucks to hit the send button in five minutes and do right? And That's the a credibility good deal. that comes. I mean, my obviously, 
the credibility I've built up over time accepts that. But, you know, well, I'm going to be somewhat controversial here, too. And I'm going to and please do not take this the wrong way or the right way. I don't know if this is the right way. It's just the way I've been approaching it the last two or three years. I'm kind of down, although not out. I'm kind of down on coaching and high on collaboration. And I've had good coaching experiences and bad coaching experiences. And I would say my I have a similar feeling to what you were just um, describing on the coaching thing. Um, but I would rather collaborate. Like I'll give you a good example. I wanted to do a couple guys I really like, really like, for instance, Joe Delia and uh, Castle, which is a new property management group, innercastle.com, episode three, I think. Max, Tim, Scott, even though Scott's a socialist, I'm not holding that against you, dude. Um, really cool guys. Joe, I think, is a really cool guy, too. And I want to learn from these guys. These guys are doing really, I think, big things, especially Joe and Castle. So what I I figured out a way to work with them is what I did. And we did a deal together, probably in a way I would never do again. But I just wanted to do the deal because I wanted to make money with them. And I wanted to see what it was like working with them. And I wanted to learn from them. And I did all those things above. I don't know if that, that's more like, I don't, that's not exactly like coaching, but that's how I've been trying to learn. <clears throat> same with Steve. How can I work and learn and benefit while learning at the same time? Mm-hmm. Just seems like if there's a bigger profit motive and we're working on the deal, we're more likely to get the attention that we want. And then, then you really know if you are valuable or not. Whereas when you're being coached, then you have to go out and do these extra steps. You know, the, the biggest thing I hate about coaching is a crazy accountability. I don't want to talk to you and you tell me that I didn't do those 10 things you told me to do last week. That's not what I want. I'd rather have a mentor. Hey, yeah. Let's go have some dinner. You know, dude, don't do that. Meaning him telling you. Yeah. You know, well, what if I do this? Well, this is her what I would do. Right. It's more of a rapport thing as opposed to 30 minutes of, okay, let's go down our checklist of action tasks. Did you do all of that? Well, no. Well, then what excuse do you have? Because that's no that's, good one. That's called bold from Keller Williams. Yes. Which, not to beat up on Joe Delia, but I like Joe too. Hell yeah. Yeah. And, and I think Joe's, when I listened to that podcast the other day, the one thing that stuck out to me, what Joe said was when he was talking about, uh, when you went and knocked on a door, got your first deal. His response was, well, you set that opportunity up before you didn't just knock on the door. And I thought that's exactly right because you didn't just like walk up there and the guy just loved you. Once you sell you his house. You knew what to do. Absolutely. And you saw the opportunity. You took it. That takes time and experience, right? Absolutely. Which I think is more of the mentoring thing than coaching, right? Because here, here, here's a here's a real estate task. Okay, Mr. Mr. Agent, how much money do you want to make? Well, I want to make 100000 a year. Okay. How much is that a month? Well, that's uh, $8,000 a month. Okay. In your market, what is the average commission? Well, it's 2000 a deal. That means you got to do four deals a month to make eight thousand a month to make a hundred thousand a year, right? Go do it. How many phone calls do you have to make to make two thousand dollars a deal? Well, I got to make a hundred calls a day. Okay, there's the phone, right? How doesn't take a brain surgeon to do that, and you can do that a hundred times. Absolutely. To sit down with like three of us doing this that takes time, it's effort, it's cooperation, it's knowledge, and not one of us is getting paid to sit here. Nope. Right. 
Ibuymyhomes.com, yeah. people. Keep this podcast going. And then, of course, you... you know, I can't you, get these people to tell us these things if we're not making money, folks. Come on. And if you're listening to guys like Joe and, you know, Alan Daniels is a quality guy, these guys that you've had on are all yeah. quality people. And it's interesting, is, and that was where I was kind of going with the podcast thing, is there's only so many of us in town, right? I think maybe the way you do that is to... It's a big world, though, right? Yeah, but you know what? You can get anybody who wants to get on the microphone, right? No, it's harder than you think. Well, you would. I guess I look at it like, well, what content can you give me? Because what what do those guru guys do all day? Oh, yeah, 30 minutes of content, and then all they do is sell you a book at the end, right? Well, you know, I just said 586-413-6190 is my cell phone. Call it. If you want to get a text and you got a deal, you got something you want, you text me. I'm I'm there, you know. If, so don't take advantage of me, but at the same time, I want to help you get along because you know what? We can help each other to make deals so that we can make a. If I make five hundred dollars just doing something, I'm okay with that. If I do that ten times in a month, that's five thousand bucks. Heck yeah, huh? What other job do you have makes you five grand for doing nothing and helping people? Right, and so, they like you. Right. I mean, you can't go get a, even if you work for 30 bucks an hour for 40 hours a week, you're not making five grand. Take home. I got big plan. I got big so. plans for this podcast, Ron. <laughs> global, global yeah. domination of the airwaves, the internet waves. What is this? The MP3s, the O's and ones, global domination of, of that. That's uh you did bring up an interesting point though, is I am careful about who I invite on and I will continue to be careful. Um, but this is also, we're going to go a business direction too. So I started to book some business entrepreneurs, people who have multiple startups who have sold mm-hmm. startups. Yeah. And then we're going to get out of Michigan as well. Um, cause when I, you think about what, what can you do with the real estate money you make? Yes. You can't just keep buying real estate. We will, right. You should diversify at some point. Right. Go do something else. Yes. With that cash, whatever that is. Whether it's you know philanthropy or whatever, however you say that word, give it away, or you know you're doing some better good with all that cash you're making because because once because what does a what does a good if you duplicate yourself you're gonna make a lot of money doesn't matter what you're doing you're gonna make a lot of, you, you only need so much you know if you live in a regular house your payment's not gonna be more than a couple thousand a month right you got a car it's a five hundred dollar a month car you've got tax I mean how much do you really need so at the end of the day, what are you doing with that extra, right? Hopefully something good. Yeah, I mean. I can tell you what I'll be doing. 10,000 <laughs> acre permaculture farm, baby. I'll well, be I mean, farming everything, folks. You'll well, be buying your stuff from me. Well, think of Mr. Landlord guy. You know, he, he was at our, you know, the Oconorea meeting a couple, couple weeks or last month or whatever. And the guy's just a quality dude. He's probably one of the few guru guys that we brought in uh, that actually gave content but then still sold most of those guys don't do what he does no the last guy that did that was named guy named uh he's out of virginia um his last name's kind of funny you say it kind of funny he did it the same way but most of these guys come in and sell 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 sell. yeah it's it's all about it's all about like teasing you you know if i want to be teased i'll just watch television you know to me it's just and, you know, or go to the strip club. Oh, yeah. Now, when you talk about what you're doing, I like the way that you op, you approach the RIA thing because it's it's a networking more. But at the same time, there's some content there because the guys that show up, and I tell my wife this all the time, it's the people that show up at the Renegades are players. 
They're the guys that are doing stuff. That's the goal right. so far. Yeah. I wish I would have changed this model, though. We did the first new meeting model last month. I don't, are you coming out tonight? Yes, or? I am. Mm-hmm. I think you'll like it. Now we just we literally stripped all the BS away. We do a 30-second sales pitch. We immediately go to who has deals. And then after deals, we go to wants and needs. And then we immediately break and go back to networking. So I'm just trying to keep it. Hey, why are we all coming out tonight? We need we need to borrow money. We need to sell something. We need to make money. We're here. We're here to solve a problem. What's the problem? Let's get it out there. What the problem is? Let's see if we can't make something happen. And I just kind of went to dispense with all the foreplay and the teasing and everything in and around it, and then transfer this to the podcast where you can then listen on your own time because that's also the problem with the meeting. How do you get someone like Ron Walraven, which you will do and you did, to show up at a certain time? for a certain day for 45 minutes with a presentation, 30 minute presentation, 15 minute question and answer. It's very limiting. Right. And, and a very challenging format. I recorded it, but then the quality wasn't good. I would much rather do this. Cause I think that when you think about the fact that there's two other groups around town that are basically the other two, the Oakland group and then the Wendy's group, right? Still, both of those are very guarded, right? Yes. And of course, who shows up at those parties? Yeah. A lot of newbies. Yeah. Yeah. It's not the guys that are playing. Do you think, you know how power you could do if you could get guys like, um, what's his name? Mike Carolyn, who's a, he's the, he's, he, he's a builder more than anything else. His brother is Michael, uh, Patrick Carolyn. And he's got another brother all in the business, right? Those guys don't show up to our meetings. Your meeting or anybody else's Nobody's meetings, no, yeah. If you get those kind of guys to start showing up and all in a room at the same time once a month or every other month, the power of that networking is huge. Yeah. We'll, we'll, turn our, we'll turn our market upside down because it'll take guys like Steve and I who are wholesaling. The list is just how many people do you need? You only need 20 or 30, right, because you have a different spectrum of what they do. You only need to make a phone call. Right. You say, okay, I got this one over here for, you know, here's my spread because most of the guys that I sell to don't care what I'm making. You know, they're, they're not like balking and screaming because I, you know, some of these guys I'll like, I won't tell them what I'm making until after they make the offer because I, because the human nature wants to beat you up. It's it's the, it's the negotiating side of Absolutely. what we do, right? Yeah. They all want the best deal they yeah. can get. Can you right. blame them? Right. So, so it's set, when you give them a number, it sets up their mental state. Right. So you give them a number that's too high, let them come down to think they got a deal. Right. Because when you say, when you say yes right out of the gate, they go, yeah. I should offer less. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because, <laughs> of course, I do the same thing. Right. Yeah. You know, when sellers come to me and I ask them how much they want, I don't want me to be the first one out. But so when I do that, though, I usually I lowball them pretty hard just so I can get them to tell me what it is. Right. Well, sir, I gave you the number. Now, where's your number? And then they usually do it. I just think that the power of of our networking, like your meeting is, is more powerful than what we do at Oakland Rhea and what Wendy does at her meeting. And Wendy's kind of an in-betweener. Absolutely. Right? You know, and in-between. for the record, I think everybody should go to both because they yeah. offer very different mm-hmm. things. And I don't think there's a one-stop shop for anybody or anything. So I think the guys that are doing business come to, come to yours because that's where the guys doing other business are there. And that includes every facet of what we do insurance and appraisals and you know rehabbers and wholesalers and money guys and you know 
you know, and you get in a, I mean, I mean, how many new people actually show up? I, I think your meeting's a little bit better recently. Yeah. Would you agree? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And who, who goes down to Corktown? Yeah. In the dark, right? It's <laughs> not that bad. Come on, folks. Now, the new location, that's an awesome place. Yeah. I like always brewing I've, a lot. You know how many times I've driven by that coffee shop? I've been up and down Grand River a thousand times in my life. And, of course, I know that area. That's a pretty nice area of Detroit. But I would have never gotten out of my car. Now, I know that the, the real estate company that's right next door, I know them yeah. fairly well. REM. Yeah. yeah. Those guys yeah. have been doing REO for a long time. But I would have never, it's not my my brain doesn't think to go to a coffee shop in Detroit. It just doesn't think that. I try. So, well, it's bothered me that <clears throat> Renegade Detroit Investors for many years wasn't in Detroit, despite my best efforts. <laughs> I couldn't find a safe place. I couldn't right. find an affordable place. Yeah. I couldn't find, it was, luckily with the resurgence, I showed up eight years too early. Um, I will take this opportunity to plug because Amanda Brewington is the owner of Always Brewing Detroit, which you go to alwaysbrewingdetroit.com. You should definitely check it out. She started that coffee shop. She's a good friend of ours. And we love, my wife and I love having a local coffee shop to go to. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to us that she exists, that she does well, um, and that her business is good. She has excellent coffee. She gets her coffee from Hazano which is a local micro roaster out of Ferndale, um, which hopefully he will be on the uh, podcast as well at some point in time. Uh, it's just an excellent coffee shop. You should, all, you should all go check it out. It's excellent coffee, and it is like a local neighborhood coffee shop, and I'm happy mm-hmm. to have my meetings there. I think we're going to be there for quite some time. Everybody seems to like it. There's free parking. It's safe. And who doesn't love coffee? I mean, I right. love coffee. Yeah. So. Plus, I think the venue is more open and it's not as loud. Oh, yeah. Some it's so loud. It's yeah. Some of these places, you're yeah. trying to, you're just literally like trying to put a square peg in a round hole. It's like you do your best you can to make it fit and it just doesn't fit. And I did the best I could and it just didn't work. Because so. the other one that's like yours is that the one that Outerman and Aaron Yates are doing as much oh, yeah. like yours, but it, the restaurant atmosphere tends to be loud. You know, that's what I like about it. There's a huge variety here of, there's something for everyone. If you, if you want a more traditional Rhea, go to Oakland. Right. If you want something that's the polar opposite, come to Renegade Detroit investors. If you want something in between, go to Wendy's. And if you just want a free for all networking, go to Tom's. And as it was at right. Metro Detroit real estate, Investor or something like that. Investors, yeah. yeah. Sorry, that's Tom. I will make sure to put that in the show notes, folks, yeah. for, for all these separate groups. I think you should at least attend them once or twice and see what you think because I think they all have a value of a kind. So I, I want to be respectful of your time, and I know we're, we're getting close to it. Let's wrap it up. Let's talk about – I have some success questions okay, or best practices, right? And one of the questions I like to ask is what would you do differently – I know you can't – but what would you do differently if you can do it all over? If you can go back in the Ron time machine and go back to 1998 when you started or wherever you think you went wrong or right, what would you do differently if you started over? Those are some success questions. If you can do it all over again, what would you do differently? Well, if we, I guess if we go back in time in regards to We'll go all the way back to when I was 18 and I decided to be a mechanic. When I got into real estate, I wish I had started earlier because, you know, I was 35-ish, I think, when I started. Yeah, 35, no, 33. I just wish that I had learned how to 
what I realized a couple of years into real estate was I didn't have to go to work to make money. I could figure it out and make money. Yes. Right. And I think everybody gets stuck in that mentality of go to school, get a job, blah, blah, blah. Now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I'm just saying there are people in the world that need to do that. It's not me. You know, I would rather get up in the morning and figure it out. And real estate happens to be the way I figured it out. Um, Gary Keller, I'll tell you that everybody masters something usually about every 10 years. And I look back, I got restless at about 11 or 12 as a mechanic. I started looking for the real estate bug, right? That's kind of what I was interested in. My body finally just forced me into that. And then I look back to my real estate career. I started in 1999. It was about 2008, 2009 when things started blowing up and I was getting restless again. 10 years. And that's when I kind of get into the investing side, right? So I guess the answer to the question is, I guess I wished the, I wished I had learned how to be a better business person when I started in real estate. Amen. Even I'll you get an amen at me on because that Because that's, that's where I want my boy to do. You know, even though what I just said about college, and that doesn't apply to him, I'm going to send him to two years of kind of baseline college with his sister who is in, down in South Carolina <clears throat> to get that baseline and then bring him back here and get him a business degree at Walsh or something so that he can have a better feel of those trends that daddy doesn't see. Now, daddy, I can see trends in real estate, right? Because I spend a lot of time in the MLS just looking and comping and whatever. But I think that had I had seen the implosion of the real estate market in Michigan in 2006 and seven, and maybe had taken my own advice about my files being out of work by 2009, because the reality is go back then, I wish I'd, I knew that the short sale thing was going to be the gig. I didn't want to do that. So I just hung on hope and hope and hope and hope and hang on to my staff longer than I should have. I and, did that too. You know, I, I, I felt loyal to these people. I was feeding them. They were, or I was making it rain so that we all could make money. I felt loyal to that, to my own detriment. And so at the end of the day, when, when it finally just, there was nothing else I could do. I just did it. So, I mean, should have done it sooner. Yeah, yeah I, I guess I, I guess I would should, wish I had maybe focused more on business practices when I started, as opposed to doing like what you and I just talked about. Like you just kind of like go, right? Just go do it, moron. Just get going. You know, you don't have to know the whole ins and outs. Just do it. Right? No, you don't. But no. I could definitely. I know exactly how you feel about. I wish you would. I wish I would have been a better businessman earlier on accounting are you kidding me just some right. basic knowledge right. you know business knowledge because i think the the best entrepreneur can't do that anyway because that's his talent his talent is to vision it's a visionary thing right you have a bigger picture than your you know your eyes are bigger than your stomach you go wow i could do that i can do that and of course in the shiny object syndrome right absolutely <laughs> right yeah so real estate just happens to be the one i focused and i'm good at and it kind of fits my personality and what I'm doing. But uh, I, I, the answer to your question is I wish I'd just been a little more business-oriented, you know, at least would have taken some more education in that respect. So Start earlier and mm -hmm. business-oriented. Okay. Yeah. Do you remember your first deal? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Yes. <laughs> Let's talk about it. I love the first deal question. Well, it was, the, it was a, an investor. Um, 
but I had found he had called me off of some listing that the office had, and it was in Pontiac on Nebraska, 532 Nebraska maybe. You remember the address? I think wow. so. And uh, I remember going to that closing just like it was yesterday, being all nervous. It's my first one. I made like 650 bucks. Oh, you got rich, man. Yeah. Hey, you so, made money on your first one, so you didn't lose money. No. Okay. No. All right. And uh, and that particular investor that bought that house probably bought three or four other houses through those years, and him and I became good friends. I haven't touched base with him in a while, but, you know, yeah, I remember my first deal. And so... What was the worst deal you've ever done or the worst deals? It might not be one. I have several, so <laughs> it's okay if you want to pick one or two or three. What would be the um, worst, the biggest mistakes you've made in a real estate deal? And it could be listing, wholesale, flip, whatever, just the biggest mistakes you made in a deal. Well, I mean, in the REO world, we're always responsible for inspections, inspecting property, you know, during the redemption process. Okay, so we're now we're talking Detroit. It would have been like 2000 six or seven, something like that. And it was, uh, the, the client was, wasn't Huntington or it was, it was some small mom and pop uh, bank, but we were supposed to do weekly inspections. Right. So of course I would do it like every week and a half or every other week, you know? So of course this house was supposed to be in evictions. Now this really isn't a deal. It's just so much like, man, I wish I hadn't have done that. Right. So I didn't do the inspection. I get a notice from the lawyer, from the attorney that they did the eviction. Well, by the way, we went there. The house was burnt. Oh, so the bank goes back in my inspection reports and says that I reported it occupied, you know, a week prior to. So I'm thinking, so of course, you know, I want the Lord to help me now, right? So Lord, pray that the fire report is dated after that inspection. So of course, the only way I can prove whether I did or didn't the fire happened before or after was to go get that report. Right. So I hiked down to the Detroit fire department all the way downtown, pay the 20 bucks for that stupid piece of paper yep. that says the date on it. And of course it was the day before the eviction or the day before my inspection. So I, I sent it to the asset manager and of course he was okay. He didn't really care. It was his boss that cared. Right. So I give it to him. I said, I said, you know, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm just saying is what difference would it make? I didn't live next door and I wouldn't have, if I, even if I had been there the day before I would have called it occupied and it still would have burnt. Yeah. So the, the, the result is still the same. You still have a burnout <laughs> house. Let me off the hook. So I give that to him three hours later. I have five listings with them. Pulled gone. Yeah. Now, of course, you know, in the end scheme of things, it would have been, you know, 10 grand total for those five. So money-wise, but then, of course, that particular client is no longer even in business these days. So in time, it wouldn't have really mattered. But I remember my you know, telling my staff what had happened. And, of course, my inspector guy who I tell him what to do, it wasn't me driving around. It was him. He says, well, why didn't we go buy it? <laughs> I said, dude, I don't know. I got better things for you to do. And anyway, so that would be the kind of like – Man, I wish I hadn't have done that. And of course, I didn't. I didn't keep covering it, right? You know. So as much as I said, you know, yes, I did do that inspection, and here's what the status is. At the end of the day, I still bucked up, and yeah, you know, and and of course, there isn't an Ario guy on a planet that tells you that he's looking you in the eye and tell you he goes by every house every time he says he did. You don't do that. Hell no, no. And the <laughs> bank knows that, right? So it just trickles uphill. 
right? You know, the, if the guy above him is mad or above him is mad, you're done. Mm. Which is, I always say in, in the REO world, you're only as good as your last deal anyway. You know, no matter how many deals you close prior to that, which with that particular client, I probably did 30 deals with them before that and did every one of them closed and, and done. So, well, I would say that's just life. You're only as good as the last thing you did. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, that's just. Well, I used to be great. Well, you used to be, and right. I used to pay you, so you can get used to used to. You know, and the way the banks work these days, you know, they're they're always looking for brokers. And 2009, 10, when things started blowing up across the U.S., they all got rid of, they got rid of the guys like me that really had been doing all that work in the, in the neighborhoods. Which the REO guy today is nothing but a retail broker, in my opinion. He's not a he's not a he's not a down and dirty REO person like me or a few other guys I could name. So anyway, so that's interesting. Okay. What, what kind of systems daily or weekly or monthly do you have in place that, you know, if you do, you get the results you want. Like, is there a certain number of phone calls you make every day? Do you wake up and meditate? I know you're a praying guy. Um, what do you do that, that you would say would be best practices and or success strategies that you have found that work is good day one as they do 16, 17 years later doing wholesaling? Well, I think the, I mean, in my REO days, the best thing I'd ever do is to give asset managers a weekly report on their properties because they were always chasing their brokers. So follow up, I guess, is that term, which I, I'm terrible at doing now. Um, I mean, right now, I think probably the best thing I do is I when a deal goes under contract, I've got a, I've got a, a task on my calendar. That's called. Uh, let me look it up here. I think it's called. Um, the recurring nine o'clock appointment. Um, see must do today list. So it, it pops up. Oh yeah, I need to look at that list. So I put things that are under contract on that list, and then I just go back and say, what do I need to do, right? You know, I need to text this person, call this person, you know. Um, a lot of times I do is go back on my calendar because I put all appointments on the calendar and I can search it. I can, I just go back and say, okay, do I, you know, what was the result of that? And and I, get, I think I fixed that. I use others to do that follow-up for me. Absolutely, yeah. Right, as opposed to doing it myself. Right? Can't be good at everything. Because my weakness is that. My weakness, and even if I do get some system to do it. How is that a weakness? <laughs> I don't see it as a weakness. It's just not your strength. Right. Right? Okay. Well, it's, yeah. it's not what I like to do. Because weakness implies that, you, that, that there's something wrong with you, and I don't necessarily agree there's something wrong with you, right? Well, I think it's, it's how do you fix the things that you're inadequate I guess, right? I mean that what what is a what does a good business person do? Surrounds himself with people that do what he's not good at, right? That's exactly what he is. That's a good leader. Be humble. There's someone yeah. who can do everything better than you right. somewhere. Yeah. And you can hire some of these people for a ridiculously low amount of money. Well when you think about the people that do those types of things, that's what they're that's what they want. They need to be led, right? Absolutely. Most people that are content with that need to be led. They don't want to have to get up in the morning and make that decision or take the heat when it's not, you know, when it doesn't come down right. To me, I look at it as like, I got big shoulders. I'm okay. Yep. Right. I'm not going to not sleep tonight because, you know, especially if, if it wasn't something I did out of malice and it's just a, something happened, how can I fit? Kind of just like the fire. I wouldn't have stopped the guy from burning the house down anyway. No. So, 
you know, it, I was just trying to move things along, really, when you think about it. So um, I guess that's a kind of a lousy or a, a bad question to ask me because I don't have any processes. <laughs> I just I just rely on knowing that I can do it, I well, guess. You do but, something. What do you do to make sure your phone rings? Um, Well, the emails and stuff that I get on my own, I just make sure that I – if I sit down at night, which usually is at night or in, in bed, usually – because my my uh, my wife works all day, so we just crawl into bed. I watch television, or and sit there on my laptop and just follow up with things. Right? Um, I mean, sometimes I just go through my texting list and just say, "Okay, what did I? What, when was the last time I talked to this person?" You know, like Steve and I, I text Steve all the time. Okay, what's up? What's up? What's up? And I know I'm bugging him too much when he doesn't respond because he's just like me. The phone's buried in his ear. Yeah. And if you don't respond, it's usually because he. <laughs> Right to me, I always kind of laughed at myself because I'm exactly the same way. When I when I don't want to respond, people know that I read it; they know it because that's where I'm at. I'm a little old school here. My phone's in my hand. <laughs> yeah, I think 48 hours on most things is a perfectly adequate response time. I find right. a lot of people, especially when you know somebody's busy, like I don't want like if I just want to talk or have a question, I can either send an email or I can call. I don't necessarily want to fuck somebody's life up and what they're doing right now. Like, why are they responding to me? You know, I let 48 hours go by. I understand they've got kids. They got a business. I'm not saying I'm not, I'm not unimportant. I'm just, I know I'm not at the tippy top of their list and I'm fine with that. And, and after 48 hours, then I'll reach out again. You know what I know about myself though, is sometimes if I don't do it immediately, then I will forget. Because I get enough texts and emails Absolutely. that it gets down the thing, and then you don't remember. So then there's a bad impression, or you didn't follow through. Right? I don't. I don't hold people so, and when they're busy like that. If I'm calling someone like you or Steve or Joe, I don't take any of that personally. Yeah, I, I would get, agree. With I'm you. not the center of the universe, right? <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> so long as I remember that, <laughs> then I don't have to sit around going, "Where well, they called me back? Why well, they text uh, me back? Well, Be always, the squeaky wheel that gets the grease. Persistence, right?" Well, that's why I always, I mean, that's what I try to do with my wife is the, those are the important things, right? Because if she calls yep. you, I always tell my, if my wife tries to call me and I don't respond, she, she wonders because she knows the phone's in my hand. She knows it's in my pocket or somewhere. So usually I just try to, if I don't answer the phone, I'll just text her real quick. I'm on the phone so that she knows, right? Those are the, I mean, that's the level of response, but I'm like you, I don't take it personally. Yeah, either. no. And please, if I haven't called you back or texted you back, it <laughs> is not personal, probably. <laughs> Depending on who you are, it might be very personal, but probably not. Statistically, I just got busy. I forgot. It's not intentional. And I will say this. The squeaky wheel does get the grease. If you, mm-hmm. you want a response, being persistent, that, that lets me know who I should contact first when I have the time. So You know, sometimes when I think I'm bugging people, I'll say, like, good morning, you know, and then you do whatever you're going to say instead of just being what's up with this or yeah. what right because of course you read into a text how do you read in text an attitude and you you take it because you're this is right? why i hate text and email <laughs> right and i don't like, like to call how like, does you know if i put all caps on am i yelling at you for real these kids <laughs> with their texting and their emails yes, and right. their facebook messages why don't they just call me i find myself in this place all the time i don't read into these things because I refuse to read into them, because how can I read into them? <laughs> right. Yeah. Some people do, though. Oh, yeah. I go out of my way. Even if when I know they're they're doing something, I won't address it, because I will just assume until you tell me otherwise that we're okay. My oldest 
my oldest daughter, she always laughs because I have facial expressions. I have a hard time not expressing myself with my face, right? So we're talking about that one day. So basically you're human. Yeah. So I say to her, you know, we should make up like a, we have like, you know, you got like a keyboard on your phone for emoticons, emoticons. Emoji. Oh, ah, I like it. (laughs) So so, Panded, go to (laughs) ibuymyhomes.com for your emoticons, (laughs) $5.99. Better get, you better get on that, Ron. And my kids would tell you, bite me is one of them. So so what are you working on right now that um, you want to make sure we get out here? What are you looking for? What are your needs? I know we've we've uh, we're we're coming to the end plugging it, but again, you did bail me out. I really appreciate it. So let's make sure before we wrap this up that I've hit all the points. Who do you want to meet? Who do you want to talk to? What are your needs? What are you working on right now? I mean, in regards to business wise, I just looking for deals. You know, the move at everywhere. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, you know? and you know. I mean, I do have some agents that work underneath me that are investor-oriented types. I'm looking to build that. Ah, okay. You know, brokerage so kind of a thing. Looking for deals and looking for investor agents too. Yeah, and I don't want listing agents. If you want to list property, don't come to me. Okay. I can send you to a Keller Williams agent or office to help you out so I can, you know, collect the downline money because I do. Because I was a Keller agent for eight years, I still collect money from agents that are still there that are underneath me. So I still get some of that Kool Aid from you know from the from the Mecca in Austin, Texas. That's right. But anyway, and that's and I'm okay with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I take advantage of the system, and I, I get the best of both worlds. Now I get to be an investor and keep all my money. I don't have to give it up to somebody else. But um, I don't know. I, I'm really the marketing side that I have with my main partner is is going very well in other words him and i cooperate very much the same we have a lot of the same worldview ideas and i really i'm just looking for those relationships right because i think at the end of the day if i want to accomplish some goals which you know the 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 school that my kids go to and that my wife teaches at is important to me i want to have extra cash to to give to that organization and the way I'm going to do that is with real estate. And if that's flipping or wholesaling or whatever, that's my, you know, I like to buy a hundred, you know, my perfect world would be a hundred unit building that cash flows 10 grand or 15 grand, 20 grand a month without me breathing. And I don't, that pays my bills, right? That's, that would be like perfect. And then I can do all this other stuff for fun. How soon do you have that, Ron? <laughs> Let's put a date on it. Well, you know, I, I've been, you know, about a year and a half ago. If you go to my profile on LinkedIn, that's what it says. You know, I'm looking. I'm a multi-unit. Or if you go to uh, my Twitter, you know, the Twitter profile thing, Ron's, you know, looking in the multi-level space or multi-family space. Um, you know, I've almost put together a couple of those deals. You know, trying to get the seller to fund it. You know, like give him his. You know, I forget who Wendy had a meeting where the guy was talking about. You know, it's it's the seller is always about price, right? But if you can get it on terms, the price is irrelevant, right? Absolutely. How much money are you making? So the price is irrelevant. And I almost got this guy in Pontiac to sell me a three million dollar complex that was flowing about thirty five k a month. He almost he almost funded that for me. <laughs> and of course, it's like asking, right? It's like guy planted the seed. I saw the deal on my email. I just asked, 
hey, you know, if I run it for you and, you know, if I cash you out in 10 years, would you do that? Well, I might do that. No, it never came to fruition, but, you know. If you never ask, you're never going to get it. Yeah. So yeah, you got to ask. The ask people. Actually, right? that's amazing advice right here at the end. The ask. If you keep your mouth shut, if you don't say anything, it's not very likely to happen, right? Mm-hmm. What's the best question you can ask at the end of any appointment? Even especially after you buy their house, right? Do you have anybody else that's Absolutely. trying to sell their house, or do you have any other real estate you might be interested in selling? Right. Yeah. Do yeah. you or anybody you know have any other? Because interest? a lot of times they're not even thinking it, right? And then then now they have to go through their brain if they're if they're especially if they're an inv- uh, an inv- a landlord selling a, a portfolio or something, you know. Well, yeah, I got this one and was way out of the way. I never really thought about that. And it doesn't bother me because it's cash flow and I might sell that one, you know? So to me, it's, it's always, you just got to be inquisitive and ask the questions, right? You know, even when you do what we do, what's the worst thing they can say? No, no. Yeah. Get over it. Right. You're going to get a lot of no's in life. The rejections, there's nothing wrong with the rejection. This goes with my theory on why there's more men in real estate than women because we're more used to handling rejection (laughs) than women. Women really don't know what rejection is in the same way that men do. And I'm just going to throw that out there is a hypothesis, not a theory, a hypothesis. I'm willing to be proved wrong. But if you're a guy, you've been told no a lot and I'll leave it at that. (laughs) Well, of course in the real estate world, women tend to be married obviously, and that's not their bread, right? That's true. So they do it for fun. Yeah. You know, it's, buys their dresses it's not a very fun business if you're in it for fun (laughs) i would say there's not much fun to be had it doesn't mean you can't have fun but a lot of what you're doing isn't fun not that it's terrible but uh, i don't know how much fun do you have i mean some you know i like the deal chase and i think the guys that are successful are guys like steve and i where it's about the deal how can i chase because like I said, the process afterwards is the same, whether it's a million bucks or a thousand bucks. The closing process is exactly the same. Yeah. So doing the deal and figuring it out, even though it's just real estate, to me, it, what other job can you have that does that? Oh, by the way, you can get up in the morning and go to any appointment you feel like. Yes. At any time that you feel like. And with the internet, you can lay in bed and search the internet. Right. I mean, you, we talk about doing BPOs on paper. You know, now I, I, I love kinda, the internet. I laugh at these guys that do BPOs for money. You know, they do BPOs in volume to make their cash. But there's no way I could have done that 15 years ago. No. You know, I and, wouldn't do when I started real estate, there were actually a few and you were even before me. There were actually a few agents and brokerages because I started in Pullman, Washington in 2005 that still had books. Right. <laughs> I was at the very end of that. These kids these days, they have no idea. I was right at the very end in the beginning of the internet. There were no apps. There wasn't yeah. Google Maps. This shit is amazing, folks. This I can't think of a better time, be it real estate and or business, to start a business right. than now. There are VAs from the Philippines, apps that do a lot of these things for you, websites built. My first website cost me $25,000 and was a static website, folks. <laughs> wow. Now for $800, you can get everything. And now there's what carrot investor, or whatever. I mean, it is amazing. It's disgusting. Your barriers to entry folks and business are really low. And with that, Ron, thanks for meeting us today. I really appreciate awesome. it. Thanks for bailing me out. 
Thanks Thank you for your time today. Please go to iBuyMIHomes.com. iBuyMIHomes.com. This will be in the show notes to folks or go to twitter.com forward slash Ron, Wa- Ron Wallraven at Ron Wallraven on the Twitters or go to facebook.com forward slash Ron dot Wallraven. If you enjoy and find this podcast helpful, please give it a like and share and review. This is a free podcast and all that sharing really helps. And if you have any comments or suggestions and you're not a complete loser or total ass clown, I would appreciate hearing from you. Go to renegadedetroit.com. Yes, I realize it's not updated. It will be by the end of October. I hope. Renegadedetroit.com. If you're interested in attending the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash Renegade Detroit Investors or go to facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on the Twitters at Jeremy Burgess. And if you prefer to watch this on YouTube, go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. And as I wrap this up, I want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know there are a lot of distractions, mistakes, poisonous people, bad habits, bad starts in life. We've all had it. Um, I don't necessarily know what you need to do. I think you need to know what you need to do. But whatever that is, stick with it. It's worth it. Don't give up on it. Do something every day that gets you a little closer to your goal, even if it's one little half step. I just want to say I thank you and I appreciate your time and I take it seriously and I appreciate your attention. And until I catch you on the next podcast, crush it.